Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 25th of October 2020 And as always, I hope you're, you're all getting by as best as you can during these incredible Looney Tunes times Because that's what we're in, isn't it? It's all crazy And it's, uh, it's, it's planned that way it's, uh, it, There's never been such a massive, massive psyops operation Coordinated worldwide at the same time Which tells you you obviously have a, a global coordination factor involved in it uh, a, a kind of government, you might say When everybody at the top and every country is on board with the exact same agenda Which is lauded by the World Economic Forum So they're, they're a big part of it uh, These are the same guys who attend uh, every every year the the progress towards globalization and the global system that they're always on about. In fact, they're rather ticked right now that um, populism is rising. You'll see that in all the, the the World Economic Forum, the Club of Rome, all the big affiliated groups that, that really are one big system at the very top of the world, the Bank for International Settlements, the United Nations, the World Bank, IMF, etc. They're all part of this global structure that's to bring in a global society. Something like you, you can't vote for any of it, of course, because they don't, they don't believe in democracy except to fool you once in a while to get to go and vote. Because really, if you vote, you're, you're voting in your, your masters and you're giving authority over, your, over you to these people. You give it away, you see. Kind of crazy, isn't it, when you think about it? And I gave talks back in the 90s on that very, very thing. It's a legality. And uh, they don't have to tell you any real truth. There's no law that says, by the way, that politicians should not lie to you. I remember going through these talks years ago when I was debated at very high places. And they actually came out in Canada and said at one point from the High Court, or Supreme Court in Canada, that people who run for politics, even local or, or, or state or, or provincial or national, they said there's no law where they have to actually tell you the truth and stick to it. It's not like a, uh, they're giving you a pact. You, you, see, you just have to agree to, to allow them to rule over you when you vote them in. And it's quite simple, isn't it? One selected a politician or a group of them or the whole government can do as they, as they want, regardless of what they promised the public. It's never been any different, really. And uh, it, it's always a test of your gullibility. That's what I've always thought about gullibility and naivety. That's why they like you to be naive and to believe what you're told all the time. I've mentioned before, too, many times over many, many years, uh, that uh, voting every five years or so is a good way to delay revolutions or rebellions. Generally, rebellion is a proper name because a rebellion is when you're not happy about a changes that are happening, you see. Either taxes going up or something like that, or getting told to stay in your homes nationwide. Things like that. Like that because they're so you just vote new people in all the time. Because uh, you're sick of the, the people who put in the last lot of rules and regulations and globalized uh, laws, etc. for their trading partners, the big top trading partners on the planet. That's what globalization is about. Who can trade and who can't? And under public-private partnerships, of course, we fund all big projects. All the big projects. There's nothing new in what I'm, I'm telling you. It's just that they haven't been told for a long time what it's all about. And also, you'd have to read the old, old books about it. 
the the, the old <laughs> the old globalists in the say the nineteenth century, the H. G. Wells's types, who wrote lots of good fiction, science fiction, uh, with a lot of uh, eugenics involved in it too. You'll notice. But uh, he wrote fiction about a utopia to come, and he also wrote it as, as a kind of um, almost like a documentary type style of what was to come, uh, like a modern utopia. And he talked about how would they get rid of the excess population, the unnecessary population, in this wonderful socialist system. Socialism, remember, was to be a world ruled by experts. And human value is given by religion or developed through the millennia by religion and, and, and humans themselves, obviously, would be disregarded altogether and discarded eventually until you're living totally under authority by professionals and experts. And that's what communism was supposed to eventually be based on. And two, uh, communism, remember, was never totally achieved in the Soviet system because it was meant eventually to train the public and train through generations, almost like a genetic indoctrination <laughs> and, and the Lysenko type style only to do with uh, people instead of plants, that they would train uh, people and they became a genetic memory. So you'd be better and better citizens of each generation as time went on until you have the perfect system where all the old, old values of me first or me surviving would all be put or, or, or basically destroyed because you had to serve the greater good, you see. And you do it willingly, eventually, in a perfect Soviet system. And eventually you wouldn't even need money. You'd be allocated, like credits, same type of thing that Bertrand Russell talked about for the British socialist system. And don't get, again, don't get confused by socialism. <laughs> There's different meanings to it depending on who, who you happen or what organizations you happen to belong to. And the top capitalists were always for socialism-communism because it's, it's better to have an efficient system, a technocratically run system, uh, if you've got a public that will obey you. The, the obstacle has always been individual rights and individualism, and so they have to get rid of that. So again, H.G. Wells talked about it in a modern utopia, about getting rid of the excess population. You don't need them anymore, these silly you know, feelings of, of humankind and bonded together as a human. Nonsense, nonsense. No, get rid of the ones that are inferior and you don't need any more, he said. And he said, we used to think that we'd have to kill them. Uh, but he said, um, we decided to sterilize them instead and they gradually just die out because they couldn't reproduce. This is in a modern utopia, Wells. Uh, wonderful characters they give you to follow, eh? And you like the lot of their stories. You say, that's a fascinating time machine story there, and that's wonderful, and I'm enthralled. And, but again, the, the, he was given the star-making machinery, and it couldn't fail, basically. It wasn't just one person writing material. He had professors handing him lots of stuff for his books and, and be able to help him write his stuff, you see. And he made him into a star. Because you follow the stars. And if H.G. Wells said that was the way to go, then so should you. You're clever. He was clever. You're not so clever. You're not rich and famous like him. See? And that's a proof of it right there. That's how, how easy it is. And that's how they create the stars and uh, the big machine. Like actresses and actors and that kind of thing. They actually make stars. A scientist now, too. Big publicity. You know. When you see billions and billions of stars... Things like that. And then you start, when they, they go off the subject of science, you start falling. Well, I guess maybe he's right there too, you know. <laughs> well, 
we're so yeah, what I'm saying here is everything that's happening today is simply the culmination of, of centuries of indoctrination and techniques being used on the public which they're completely unaware of. And you'll never really catch on to you think things are just happening now. You don't realize that the incredible, tremendous work that's going in to getting to the stage of the game. They remain through technologies. They couldn't do it without the internet and computers. They couldn't do any of it without that because they must know everything about every single individual on the planet. Then they've got to get you all in to a system where you can't even feed yourself without digital currency. And then they start doing what Russell, Bertrand Russell suggested they do in the 1940s and 50s. He said eventually well, the, the, the state will dish out credits. No, credit's just money, you know, a token, if you like, and uh, put it to your bank account. And you couldn't save it up in the new system that's to come. If you didn't use it all in the same month, it, it will start off at the same amount again. Like, like, the, like if it's 500 C, C for credits. It'll be 500 again the next month, and they'll pay. you have to pay your, your cost of living out of that and so on. And if you're bad, he said it too, you'd, it's a social credit system, right? <laughs> which they planned way back in the 40s and 50s that would come down the road. Right? People think this is happening now, and you'd have to behave and do what you're told, or else you'd be cut off, just like they can cut you off the internet now and, and stop your work if they want to. And, and they're openly talking about it, and they're doing it across the board in some ways. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just that now is the time to do it all because they have the perfect system to make you comply. They made it pretty well impossible for so many people to get through without, uh, you know, the internet and digital currency and everything's done on the on the computer now or cell phone. And it was planned that way. And and you buy your chains. Oh, I want that flashing light. There's pretty colours and uh, it's got more pixels than the last one. You know. Lucifer, eh? <laughs> the light, <laughs> you're just dazzled by it. And the folk, honestly, you can't help them, but they're too far gone. And it's not their fault, you see, they're brought up like that and trained to, to accept it all is quite natural. Never realizing uh, that very important folk, as far as history goes, talked about this coming system long ago, long before you heard of a computer, in fact, and how they make it all happen. But again, back to the Soviet system, is the Soviet system was never really achieved. Because eventually, through, as I said, through, through generations of raising uh, the perfect children, the perfect children, the perfect children, and, and basically somehow breeding out of the, you know, the idea of selfishness, then you'd all be there to serve the, the state. Again, cogs in the, in the wheel, you see. And that's what you'd be, that'd be the function of you. And you'd accept it quite happily. And, uh, and, and there'd be big supermarket stores, it said, eventually. This is going way back, many, many years, before the giant supermarkets that you have today and supermarket stores. And they said, uh, eventually you'll walk in, for, be it food or hardware, and you would just take what you needed. And, and that was it. No, no extras, no maybe two and just in case. Or you'd all take just wait because you're a perfect citizen. And that's what they want. They want basically drones. People as drones, basically. That's what they want me to be. And uh, but they never achieved it. And of course, uh, still to come. And uh, it, it's astonishing to me in some ways because you can see 
the psychopathy behind it. There's no doubt about that at all. And psychopaths are way more numerous than you think. And you also have a whole layer of them below that that work as civil servants, that, that, that accept the dictates of the masters, you see. And they'll also push whatever order they're given to, to the limit. That's why you end up with massacres, mass slaughters, and, um, and perhaps even genocides, eh? Genocides, generally, they don't say, come and come to, into this camp, we're going to kill you. Um, they might say, come into this camp, you'll be safe, you know? They've already got these camps going up across the world under the guise of COVID and, and even future releases and, uh, of diseases and things, you see? So you, you got to step way back, you stand back a bit here. Government, this is government's talking, eh? And do you really believe them? They've closed the economies of the whole planet down together in unison, regardless of the facts from people working in the hospital, like thousands of them across the planet working in the hospitals, coming together and saying what you're telling the public isn't matching up. And people are getting banned on the internet just for repeating it. This is total war. Total war. Of, a, by a, of an authoritarian nature that, that the world has never seen. Never seen the, the, the lens of the, where you'd literally shut up everybody. You know, in the KGB or the NKVD, you know, in the old Czech groups in the, after the, the Bolshevik revolution, they, they just brought folk in and slaughtered them. And then they went through the, and they made it known what was happening, folk were disappearing all the time. And uh, they made it known what was happening to terrify the rest of the folk to comply, you see. And you're seeing it happening now without um, grabbing folk physically. And at the moment, this, this will happen in the next few weeks, by the way, because under the staged lockdowns, it also is a staging, color-coded idea of going after people who are speaking out against the, the top authorities. They're all in, in, in lockstep, as they say, together. To push all of this. This isn't just a COVID thing. Obvious, it's rather obvious. You don't crash economies. You don't put people totally at risk of they can't even get into hospitals for regular. They've got the same same messages out now that don't even go into hospitals if you if you don't have to, even if you have something really severe. Well, we've already had lots of folk dying with heart attacks and so on at home. Through through the, the the whole farce, you know, February, March, and April, mainly, and again, in old folks' homes, because folk were terrified. Look what they were going to do. Can you imagine being t listening to the news? They were listening to the same news, the national news, getting the same horror stories in old folks' homes, and the, all they kept repeating is, "Old folk are going to die. Old folk are going to die." And then they, they tell it, "We're going to ram the, the, these tubes down your trachea." Huh? And make you make you breathe by a machine, but that might, that's dangerous too. That might kill you. Rather than give you basic treatments, what they've, get, they've given people every every winter through spring, when you get the cold flu seasons coming on, when all the bronchial problems really start up big time every year. That's why they, they're counting so, so badly on what happens every every late fall, and and the weather changes, gets damp and then cold and so on. And you're guaranteed to have folk go to the, the doctors initially. Now they might just cut them off into the hospitals. And don't forget COVID. Uh, 
It also includes the common cold as a, as a coronavirus. And the tests, the PCR tests, detect these things as well. They detect fragments of, of coronaviruses, fragments, not, not viruses, but fragments of what could have, be, could have been uh, coronaviruses. It's, it's so iffy. It, it's perfect, really. That's why you, they can't lose by having, a deba- having fights about data, you know, and throwing out massive figures through, by computers, like Neil Ferguson was doing. The same man, by the way, they helped destroy the entire meat supply at Britain at one point with a mad cow disease and his computer systems. All slaughtered, eh? This man is a, a one-man wrecking machine. So why do you think he gets the job of giving you vast... It's because he's a psychopath, folks. He's no... The average person, if they know what they're doing is, would you please go along with this and really convince the public to be terrified and have got to give up all rights and so on. And lots of folk will die because of it, of depression, or they can't get into hospital, they're afraid to go to hospital, or they won't be admitted anyway, hospital, etc. Uh, so want you to do it. You, you might have qualms if you're a normal human being, but a psychopath doesn't. They, they don't have anxiety. There's something which is lacking in them is anxiety. If anything happens to a psychopath in their life that threatens their ability to, 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 to manipulate freely throughout society, locally and on a larger scale with their politicians, then, uh, or even on top of the military, you, you find in the military two different categories of them. Actors and actresses are the hysterical, attention-seeking psychopath. That's a category they fall into as well. So, yeah, you may you may have a breakdown if if you were forced to do. Even if you're told initially it's for the, it's for the greater good, you know, the noble lie, it's for the greater good, and history will justify it. You know, and when history doesn't justify, you'd start to have a breakdown. You see, because you were responsible for maybe millions of folk dying. Because they couldn't get to hospital, or they couldn't get diagnosed, and they couldn't get their cancer treatments. And early cancer treatments, if they can get a primary tumor, they can get it. They can get it out quick, and you got a darn good chance of survival. If you can't get in, I mean, every every day counts. Then you see when it's diagnosed. And what's happening is a horror show. There's been lots of staffs in hospitals across the world come out, nurses and doctors, about this. Makes no difference to the agenda, the way, and that's that's your that's that's your telling point here. It isn't just like some automaton that just takes over because they can't think straight you know, at the top. This is an agenda which knows darn well what's going on, and it ties in completely with the Great Reset, you know, the global Great Reset of the World Economic Forum that was to follow the 2008 crash that they talked about, uh, this, this big reset. And the reset is not just the resetting of the value of your currency. It's your whole way of living. It's the way of living they've been telling you about and trying to get to accept since Maurice Strong fronted for the Rockefeller Foundation uh, for uh, in 1992. That was the big one, the big biodiversity treaty came out of it, of course. 
and uh, it was to literally dismantle all industry within the Western nations. That was part of it, a big part of it. And they said that we won't be happy to have literally dismantled even all the energy units to bring down uh, the standard of living in the West, which also would take down a lot of the life capacity for people because you need energy to live on and buy. Nature is a nasty enemy. You get away from this, the flower power idea of flowers in your hair here and realize that nature is something we've struggled with for, who knows, thousands and thousands of years, eh? at least, to survive within, because it's very cruel, and it doesn't care. There's, there's, no, there's no consciousness that says, I care about you, as I'm nature, I care about you. It doesn't exist. Sometimes you feel close to it, closer than others, that magical moment in a, in a sunny day, that kind of thing, but the rest of the time, if, if it goes into sudden freezes uh, and you do not have any heat, uh, you die rather nastily. Huh? If you fall on that beautiful lake and you've seen the pictures and, and the photographs, if you fall on that lake there, it doesn't care if you drown or not. And it's just like the beautiful sea. I mean, it's, lovely. it's great to travel on ships. I, I much prefer ships because... Uh, you're linked to the past as well. You're driving the same sea routes that people did thousands of years ago, and at least at least hundreds, but thousands too, because we're far older than Italia, especially when it comes to sea travel. And um, and definitely, you're, you're traveling the same sea routes as Vikings and other and other groups down through history traveled, and, and traders from it's like America B.C. Eh? Fantastic book to read, and other books too by Barry Fell, interesting books indeed. Interesting again, because we live in such a this-is-the-way-it-is system where some kind of strange authority that exists, and this is getting back again into the old ideas of of these secretive governing groups, which definitely exist, there's no doubt in it at all. Like Carl Quigley talked to it. You might even get that audio, yeah, I don't know if it's still out there. Professor Carol Quigley, who, who literally groomed people to be you know, presidents and to run the state departments and have massive incomes and have tremendous power across the world, including the military too. Because the military industrial complex, he was all for it and taking over the world, etc. And he was an elitist himself, Carol Quigley. He liked to boast about it. And psychopaths do like to boast about their little parts in it too sometimes. That's why he came out with Tragedy and Hope. They immediately got hammered by the the, uh, the publisher and they realized he'd, he'd let a lot too much out of the bag, you know. And he said, I, I agree with it. He said, I, I'm not against what, what these groups are doing, especially the main group. And, and he said, I, I, I object occasionally about some of their methods, but that was his only objection to the system. But the audio, it was to one of his students at university that he was grooming. And it met in the cafeteria. And uh, it was being recorded, tape recorded. And um, it pulls out a dollar bill, of all things, you know, the conspiracy theory idea. But here's Professor Carl Quigley, a guy who was the historian for a while, for the archives of an alternate history of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Lord Alfred Milner Group, same group, and also CFR, the American branch at that time. 
he, he, got, he got into their archives as they, and it, it explained what really caused wars. And they were behind it. And he, he thought it was wonderful. And they should, they, they should come out. And, and, and the, the, he said the world was ready to accept this kind of knowledge that, and, and to learn the part that this massive, this organization had to play in it. Well, the people didn't want, they didn't want the public to know that these characters had been behind different wars and taking over the world's resources and had future wars to come and how they'd backed certain totalitarian nations and so on. And they studied these nations, eh? So he wanted to, to boast about it. So they, they, they did, they kind of grabbed his book. They broke the plates too, the actual plates, but luckily others managed to get some of the first editions and tore them apart and put them together again. And they are accurate because I've seen both copies, you know, the, the original ones and the, and the ones which have no copyright anymore. But they are the, the original article, duplicates. Nothing's missing at them. So but he appeals to the dollar bill to this. And he says, but listen, don't tell anybody. He says, he says, it's bad for your career if anybody finds out. Couldn't even the conspiracy idea, right? And it's a bit, look on that dollar bill, there's an all-seeing eye in a pyramid. What do you know? It says that symbol is thousands of years old, he says. And he starts talking about it a little bit. And he's trying to get through to, to this person, this youngster he's grooming, uh, to be a leader, you see. That's what they do, they pick future leaders. And he's telling them that there's a bigger power running the whole system. Than, than just you electing whoever's put in front of you to vote for. He's, he's, he's grooming the guy. But anyway, that audio got out there, and um, you might you might be able to listen to it if you get a hold of it. And that's how the world really is run, though. This is the professor that, that, that remember, that Bill Clinton gave accolades to, and he said that was his mentor, was Professor Carol Quigley, the government of politics, and gave him the, got him the Rhodes Scholarship. So he go over to London and then skip off to Russia. That's what happened. That's what he did. Hey? But anyway, that, that's the world we're living in. It's vastly different from the the worlds we're trained to believe in. In fact, they couldn't, as I say, get the agenda through without making us incredibly naive. And and it's true. Once you're in in school, age of five or whatever it is. You're immediately indoctrinated into what they tell you is reality. And that's what Allah always said. I've said this before, this, this, this essential primary school indoctrination is essential. Because Jackson Allah always said that uh, it's without that initial indoctrination, subsequent indoctrination will not take. You'll see through it, even if you're only seven or eight or maybe ten or twelve, you'll see through it. But if you get that early indoctrination, you're being trained just to listen and obey, listen to obey and, and accept. You see, there's no debate then. And that's how the world really is. And sure enough, every, every 30, 40 years, some parts of vaults are opened. Because it's part of revelation of the method, that's what it's called. Getting back to that all-seeing eye in the pyramid. <laughs> and, and by the way, I've got very old, some old, really old encyclopedias here. Uh, very old, where they have the people who, who contended amongst each other in the United in Americas uh, during the Revolutionary War, and even before it, of what kind of symbols they would put forth, with all their names there and the different ones that they they put forward to be accepted for the Great Seal, etc.
and the currencies they were using. You know, it was quite fascinating to realize they actually had currencies in the Americas and during the Revolutionary War and afterwards, by the way, uh, including Masonic currencies where they have the all-seeing on the actual coins themselves. It's quite fascinating to see it. So, uh, so yes, yeah, it's a whole sideline to itself anyway. Uh, but to run a segue into that, I'll, I'll continue what I'm trying to prattle on about here, which is your reality, vastly different than what you've been taught to believe in. And people are pretty decent. Decent people. It doesn't matter about being ultra likable, but decent people have decency in them. And that's what elites and psychopaths count on, is that you'll have this decency factor. And if you take the history of, say, parts of Britain, even from the 1800s onwards, it was rather hellish for most folk, you know. It's bad enough when you live in a country where you, where you, where you grow to a tall, pretty tall in Scotland right now, until you hit about 18 and your long bones uh, ossify, you, they, they stop growing. And then with all that rain, you start shrinking again, eh? So that's why you never throw your clothing away for, the, for when you're young, because you'll eventually you'll be able to wear it again, because you're shrunk into it. So that, that's the whole thing. It's a pretty miserable country when it's pouring rain all the time. In Britain, it was so managed in a fuel system for such a long time, it was kind of ingrained in the people, you know? And it wasn't until they gave basic education in the 19th century to, to the, the general population, the working population, just so they could follow instructions and written, basic instructions, written instructions for working machinery and factories and, and keep records and notes for the bosses. Otherwise, they wouldn't have given you education at all, you see. And that was it. It really was that for that reason. So, so you get a minimalistic education. And even then, they turned out to what they called the penny novel because they got worried about the general public, they had, they had meetings, the elites had meetings, the manufacturers and owners and so on, had meetings in England. And uh, Dickens, you know, he knew about these things and other ones too. But they had meetings because they worried if they if they'd lowered the working day for the peasants down from under 16 hours a day, that was the average what you had to do. And then you, you might get up to mischief, I mean, you might start thinking. That would, that would cause mischief, you see. That, in fact, thinking was mischief if the peasants started thinking. If they had time to themselves, they had time to communicate and think about things. And so they, they had meeting. They actually said that, that they were terribly, they're worried about revolutions. If the people had time on their hands, they could organize and start communicating and pass information towards each other. Now they could get basic writing skills and reading skills. And so what they decided to do was try to divert the free time of the public as they lowered it down to, say, 12 hours a day or 14 hours a day, yeah, which was a great advance, by the way, <laughs> in those days. And so they come out with penny novels. And just like today, they said, well, you understand how they did the same thing with TV. They split it into categories, including gender, what do women like to watch and what guys like to watch, things like that. So sports and so on for the, the guys, and um, and uh, lots of flesh if they can get it in, and of course in, in book form, uh, they, they really cared to, to the women big time uh, with uh, romantic novels, always lifting them out of where they lived in crowded, uh, terrible red brick homes, and these overcrowded cities uh, with overcrowded 
houses, no crowded rooms, with no bathrooms in them and outside toilets and things like that. Well documented, by the way. This is this is not make believe. It, it, go, it completely goes against the way I was brought up. You see, because I knew I, I knew that the rubbish you put on television you know, about like the Anna Green Gables idea or, and lots of spin-offs for the British system. Uh, so you, you'd always have uh, the rich young girl and uh, uh, or the young master, you know, who's the son of the master, the young master. Uh, with her coaches and footmen and all that kind of stuff, and everybody seemed to have some kind of work, but they didn't tend to attend inner cities and show the squalor and folk dying through overwork, uh, malnutrition. Because even if you worked, you were on such a, sub- a basically a substance. It wasn't even substance wage; it wouldn't keep you alive. And folk didn't oh, didn't often meet hit thirty years of age. That's the reality of it. But if you just watch the BBC, you think about all these wonderful things of folk who were well-dressed coachmen, butlers and servants, and even the highway robbers, the highwaymen, are well-dressed too in these BBC and old old productions of this glorious past. And all had horses and so on. You didn't have, if you're a peasant, you didn't have a horse. You know, They'd lock you up wondering where you stole from because you couldn't have a horse. It was expensive to have horses. And to keep horses, and um, and again I've mentioned before, sometimes down through Europe and in Britain too, you, you couldn't wear silk. If you could, if you even if you found it, a bit of silk, and they passed a law in, in time so the peasants couldn't wear it. It was above their station. You understand? You'd been a peasant, yet you always know you were a peasant and just accept it. And grovel, and, and if you had a hat, you know, you doffed the hat, as they called it, and bowed, so you, you scraped and all that. And that was a system that really existed, really did. And you get out of that temporarily if you're a guy, if you joined the military. And, and that, exi- that system existed right through into the mid-1900s. Actually, it's back again, the system really stopped with its continuous wars that I even talked about from the... From the the U from from the Pentagon, the articles and so on. They talked about uh, perpetual war would be the new norm, and we're in it. Of course, we've been in it for a long time, and it wasn't just a war on nations and resources to take over them for the elite families and big corporations, but it was a war on the public themselves. And that's really what you've been in. So, but the people who lived in each era era didn't live in, in utter despair. You understand? As I'm getting, they, they rely upon this basic natural humanity in, in people. And sure enough, little charities can, can start and, and a penny here and a penny there. Again, pennies at one time worth a bit of money. You could buy a loaf of them at one time before an inflation set in with a con game of, of paper money. But they would help each other out with charities. Uh, not not great, but hopefully it would keep you alive, maybe. You know? But it wasn't the greatest system. There was no welfare system, unemployment system. And the wars were always on the go then, too. The British Empire, this private business, it was called the British Empire. And that's what it was. It was a private business for the elite families of, of London, the city of London. And uh, the bankers, naturally. But it was pretty, so guys could escape for a little, if they could live through it, that is, through the wars and all the rest of it, if they could live through that, they could, they might, they, they might get some kind of little pension out of it. And the bit of respect that came, isn't it ironic that you get a bit of respect by serving the system that's kept you in squalor? 
<laughs> and maybe your parents and grandparents too, if you had them. Uh, it's quite something. And then they teach you to respect it. And that, that was a great, a great uh, invention, really, of the 20th century. They came out of World War I, the mass slaughter of, of all nations involved, and the wiping out of a, a generation, really. Sometimes three generations. Sometimes you do. Some, some fo- sometimes people had their grandparents and their parents and the ch- and youngsters, sons, wiped out, totally, yeah. from villages and counties all through England, Scotland, and Ireland and Wales. Yeah. Wiped out completely. Yeah. So much so that when World War Two came out, the, the farm they didn't they had lots of empty farms or farms where there was only one person working it, and they couldn't even feed the, the population at the time. So they, they relied upon the shipping from, especially America, the U.S. and Canada, to bring in goods. But anyway, they train you that that, that somehow, uh, like like year zero. That's how communists do it too. They always start you off with year zero, when they have taken over completely. It's a good idea, you see, because it, it makes sure there's another bunch of ignorant schmucks that are going to grow up never knowing what happened before. Yeah. And that's how they started, really, the, the 20th century, after the Boer War, countless wars in the Boer War, leading right into World War One, basically. And then after World War One, and uh, the huge negotiations at the time by the early trade unions to get some warm cash just to live on, eh? I mean, folk were working and starving. <laughs> they didn't have cars or telephones. No, that was for basic necessities, folks. And they still had no, again, if they were laid off or they were sick, that was just too bad for you. And so they negotiated and they wanted housing you know, to be built. They're paying all these taxes for wars and stuff. Why couldn't they take the tax money and build houses for the people? And that's how the councils, the, the, the councils really started up for their, their housing committees and and even then, uh, towards the end of World War One, they run out of so many men, you know. And you can't believe how many were getting slaughtered per day, day after day in World War One. And massacre—that was, ge- was genocide. You weren't even allowed to lie down in the mud and crawl. You were supposed to run towards the enemy through mud with big heavy packs on, uh, through machine gun fire. Not, no cover at all. <laughs> That was very sane, wasn't it? I guess the same guys ran the, the war as running COVID. Right? It's closed the whole economies now. But, but this is the reality of it. And I've, I've often mentioned that, that movie, that, that's a satirical movie and musical at times, using all the old world war. They, they churn out during wars all these, these, these happy, happy little sing songs, uh, type songs that, that people can join in. Uh, to me, you all feel to, you're working towards something that's jolly good, etc., etc. So the oh, what a lovely war! It's worth watching to get the idea across. And it, it did have the actual figures up on a big ding dong scoreboard daily of the, the thousands that were dying with this battle and that battle per day. You know, these were factual ones, and they show you the dates. So these were actually historical facts. And. Uh, but again, that's that's what it reminds me of. There's a much bigger plan, just like Quigley talked about with tragedy and tragedy and hope. And he knew it. So he was all for it, as I say, and he was all for the creation of wars. And he talked about the need for wars to get stages of the big global system through. 
And so World War One, at least they had to negotiate to the, to the peasantry what was left of them, decimated, right? Uh, some some concessions for the, all the tax money that they were, they were dishing out all the time, and the loss of life and the horrible conditions they lived in. And for a little while, they thought they were getting somewhere. That they, of course, they, they, they're innate as soon. And, and a lot of the guys wanting to vote too. People think it was oh, the women were all fighting. No, the, the guys didn't have the vote either unless you had property. That's how is amazing. Isn't it amazing how that's. Missed all the time because it doesn't fit the modern perspectives of, and, and the modern agendas where only women suffered or other people suffered. But no, the people themselves in Britain, you know, the guys, the, the white peasants. <laughs> and so, but yeah, they, they, they fight to get that kind of vote. And just when they think we're getting some concessions and getting lied to and lied to, of course, they get hit with the Great Depression and they're back to square one. And you get out of the Great Depression only temporarily because of, again, a COVID event. Remember, this is, this is how they do it. And they admit, the historians all admit this, that the, you would never go out of the Great Depression, even temporarily, if it hadn't been for World War II. Because suddenly, suddenly, the government's borrowing billions from the same shadowy characters, you know, they're just behind the scenes. Uh, before, before the wars, they got, they're broke, right? They're always broke, completely broke before the wars break out. And suddenly they just find this money everywhere, eh? I'm not, I'm not I can validate what I'm saying here. The same thing happened before 9-11. They, 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 oh, they were just dead broke in America, you know. Absolutely dead. And actually said, they were, oh, they were fine. And so did Britain. <laughs> I mean, we're just finding money. We went back over accounts. We're just finding millions here and millions there. And, Although the U.S. lost about three trillion, I think, in the Defense Department, according to Rumsfeld and so on, that was never found. It's just one of these things. You know, you get holes in your pockets, don't you? And and psychopaths have lots of holes in their pockets. But yeah, they managed to find the money for these amazing wars, and and they threw just like the COVID, eh? They threw billions in today's money, billions. At uh, different corporations that could pluck, supply armaments and all kinds of things and dirigible balloons that might stop low light flying bombers coming down, which it never did because they were much higher than that. And uh, it didn't matter. See, facts don't matter. It's a waste of money. And, and they appoint these commissars in charge of trade and all things in Britain. They disappoint them because you're going to suspend democracy, save you, you know. Which is exactly, by the way, when you look, when you look into the Nuremberg trials that Hermann Goring said, it, it, it's amazing for how so long they, they kept the public from hearing what he was talking about, you know, on trial. And, and he, but he was actually asked uh, uh, during interrogation on camera why the, why the Germans had, had stopped uh, the democracy, you know. And he says, because it was an emergency time, and he said it wasn't working. We needed a, an e- efficient way of, of ordering the system back into, into, into operation. Well, that's exactly what Britain did during the war, too. <laughs> they stopped on democracy, martial law system, eh? curfews, rationing, and ration cards even, even travel permits within certain areas and certain, certain, certain places and so on. Uh, countless spies within society, from your own government, to make sure that 
loose, loose lips didn't sink ships. Uh, and again, your carns of that day too. If you see someone getting extra meat from the butcher, then report them and things like that. And all kinds of terrible things were happening. The same stuff, eh? But yeah, everybody, every company, every major corporation that existed was ready to make anything at all, manufacture anything for the war effort or COVID effort or whatever. It's all the same, you see. So they pulled Britain through temporarily, and Canada too, by the way. All the countries were affected by the Great Depression to different extents, mind you. But, uh, but Canada, for instance, was voted by the United Nations on a list of countries that were the most likely to succeed in industry and, and be very wealthy because they put so much money into, into a few corporate hands, uh, all backed by the taxpayers that now had those big factories that were making different machinery from the war, aircraft and so on, and uh, they could be turned to peaceful full uses. So. So they used the same excuses going. It was an emergency situation, so you can't have democracy. And that's okay from the West side of those, I suppose. But there you go. You, you, you can't get it. You can understand, you, you, eventually you have to break your conditioning to understand anything at all. And I've said it before, I've said it, waking up is like jumping out of an airplane. And yeah, without a parachute, and you have to free fall, and have some faith that somehow, somehow, it's going to be okay. Because on the way down, you only have the, all these different doors opening and beckoning you, and you might see glimpses of different things and glimpses of that and so on. And you might not, and you, and you don't want to get stuck at it. It's very much like Buddhism. In Buddhism, there's a stage they get to in Buddhism that the priests, you know, when they're often and they're, they're, they're meditating and they're in solitude and so on. Where the talk about uh, supernatural or preternatural occurrences happening to them. Seeing things, uh, without drugs, but seeing things and knowing things, things come to them. Uh, maybe little visions, things like that. But things that, that shouldn't happen, happen, in other words. Yeah. Now, the West, in modern times, right, from the 90s onwards with the pushing of Wiccanism and different things, that really meant to get away from any kind of idea. Of, they destroy completely an idea of the old system of Christianity, which still gave you some kind of moral values, had to be destroyed. So you, you supplant it by giving youngsters really interesting, interesting stuff. And let's be honest, I mean, Every youngster wants to. They, they, they do sense things when you're young. Before it's completely drummed all out of you, you'll sense things. You get little ideas, little insights into things. Best pals, the children start talking at the same time on the same subject using the same words as an example. Or you start singing the same song at the same time at the exact same word. Eh? And you turn and you look at each other and laugh because it's quite natural, isn't it? Things like that. And you know when someone's going to come and visit you and things. You get these little insights, which you, you, you take for granted. And as the world gets to you, because it's not meant to make you happier to, or to allow you to develop naturally or have any confidence in your own experiences. You've been trained always to listen to experts and authority figures and so on via TV and so on. 
And so that these natural instincts are drowned out, if you, with the, with the cares of the world, as I say. But with the Buddhists, they're different from the West, where they're pushing youngsters at one point, just to get rid of the old religion. That's, that's the idea behind it, of giving these insights and the what-ifs and so on. Uh, try this and try that, and ooh, ah, you know, and go ghost hunting and all that kind of stuff. The idea is to get folk into it, really into it. And suddenly books appeared. Back, I'd say even in the late 80s, and you would see it in libraries and in bookstores, and books that used to have all kinds of philosophies and things suddenly were getting placed by stacks and stacks of self-help books that also incorporated uh, the, the so-called supernatural into them too, and positive thinking, of course, all these kind of things um, were pushed into it. Uh, most, even the ones that, that pretended to be spiritual really were more positive thinking, just, just want it and think about it and all come to your idea and that kind of thing. So there, as we're pushing that on the West, you see, which we can take over your life if you, if, you, if you go that way completely, it will take over your life. You're actually stuck in an earthly realm by doing so. Because in Buddhism, as they go through a phase with this Saturday, we actually experience the things very frequently. They're told to ignore them because that's the trap. I'm talking about waking up here too. Believe me, it all ties in together. That's the trap. Ignore these things that try to pull you in because folk can get captivated by an awe and wondering, wow, wow. And like any drug, you want a bigger wow the next time until you get bigger and bigger and bigger until you're addicted like any addict to a drug, you see. So you ignore that part to go into much higher understandings and insights. Or you get trapped. Well, that's what waking up is. It's like, I used to say too, it's like coming out from under the ground. Very much like the Australian Aborigines. The Dreamtime people. I sometimes like to call them. And when the explorers met the, the Aboriginal natives, I don't know if they call them still Aboriginals or not. Odd name to call people though. Aboriginal is like not original. That's a big question in itself. However, they're natives and uh, the, 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 the explorers try to find out, just like anthropologists do, about them, you know, what's your history, what do you, you know, and why were they covered in what appeared to be the, these paintings they painted themselves. And inside the, the rocks, too, in caves and things like that, they, they would do um, paintings. And they, they explained that they had a dream time period, that's, that's different names for the same thing, I think they even made movies about it, and some of them are really entertaining, some of them. But the kind of dream time, they were in some kind of limbo for a long time, countless eons, who could be eons, you know, after some catastrophe in the world. And it's almost like they lived in stasis in the womb of the earth, that's what it symbolized, I guess. And they came out to tell the people what had happened. You know, what the rest of the story is, we never really find out if they forgot what happened or what. But it's an awful long time, so you can't blame them. But you often find that kind of history going on with the different peoples of catastrophes long, long, long ago. You know, catastrophes. So you got to understand that reality has different meanings to different peoples according to your histories. And your, your, how you survive and your conditions of survival around you too. 
whether it's kind of arid and kind of dry or good soil and wet and so on and so on. All these things to be factored into the cultures of the people, which ends up being the mentality. But, but people's generally always, again, back to the whole point of, of natural humanity, they're decent to each other so they can get through hard times regardless of it, through natural phenomena and natural hardships. But they say we also get through the unnatural ones, so the ones from wars that didn't have to happen, uh, lockdowns. Huh? Hell is getting... You haven't seen the hell yet from from the lockdowns. This is this is the, the Air Summit agenda, you know. This is it. They, what they tried to use for climate change for and deindustrialization, uh, making energy itself eventually uh, scarce for the general population, step by step into scarcities. And with and because they, they said it in all their publications that the, the, the healthier you are comes from having energy and heating, etc., and food as a start. Eh? And you can't depopulate the world where folk are healthy and they won't listen to you when they're healthy and they want to work and earn money and spend on things, etc., and buy things, and that has to stop. Well, bingo, you know. Here you go. Here you go. Getting back to Australians, I always think, too, that if people had been like natives there and natives in other areas in the world who live very simply, that you might laugh at when you think about them. Oh, my, how can they live like that? Lots of them are still living, like they lived for thousands of years. And as Plato said, the easiest systems to to fall apart quickly and get and cause massive death are artificial systems and the cities, of course. The old uh, the old occultic ideas of the city very important. But completely artificial, and everything that's built inside the city, all the different systems of commerce, it's all, they're all artificial too, you see. And one collapses, and the next one collapses like dominoes and dominoes and dominoes until they're all collapsed. And that's how fast the whole can, they can vanish. That's what Plato's uncle, Solon, supposedly told him. And he found his writings that, that his uncle had kept too. Of uh, that's where they got this, the story of Atlantis from. That's where he came from. And uh, his uncle had gone to Egypt, like most of the aristocracy uh, of the ancient world went. You know, the wealthy went to different parts of the the world for their their higher education, which is kind of occultic system of degreed system, and of course the. They went to Egypt for part of it, and and so on, you know, according to Plato, and the writings of his uncle, was told by the priests of Egypt. He says, you know, you you Greeks, how, how old do you think you are? And they gave him some kind of number, and they kind of laughed at him. He says, you don't even know your your history or how long you've you've, you've existed as a people. Now they're talking into a time, obviously, that it was before writing even occurred. For them, for the Greeks, anyway. And they said, too, that many, many civilizations had risen to great, great peaks of power, yeah? and totally collapsed. And getting back to say that the more artificial they are, the easier and quicker they are to collapse. So they've come and gone, many of them, that we don't even have the records of. Yeah? 
And that's why Plato talked about the, tef- the, the fragility of the, of the advanced systems. Now, what I'm telling you, too, is known by those who rule the world. Because they always plan their own survival, and, and they, they use all of you to get there. Generations of us to get there, to get to their advanced system, almost a very space-age type system, where they themselves will be the, the superhumans, you know, if not the gods themselves. And some of the religions that I have out there, actually, they talk about being gods, but... But uh, and again, to even from a scientific point of view, they say, "What what is a god? A god's got power of life and or death. Could be immortal. If you make yourself to be immortal, then you be classed as a god and power over others. Ultimate power, total power over other people through such advanced weaponry. Then uh, you power over life and death. Then you see." This is this uh, this is from writings of characters who've been in these organizations down through centuries. Eh? And they use us like staging rockets. I've mentioned this talk before, back in the nineties too. Because they they talk about the, what humans are here for. You talk all of you, you. You're not actually human. You're the animals. But they talk about why you're here, and you're there to serve them. And you've always been here to serve them. And uh, like a staging rocket, in a sense, again. Getting back to what Pike talked about, about revolutions, but it also applies to the systems and the generations. You, you can't just go out there and plant a, a tree, you know, or a crop, and expect to grow. You've got to prepare the ground big time. Find out what you need, what's lacking in any particular soil, especially for whatever you're going to grow. There's different things you need for different crops and things, or even for trees. That's where you get different colors and different trees and off the wood. It's, it's di- they suck up different minerals, different kinds of trees suck up different kind of minerals from the ground. So you prepare the ground for, for what you want to grow. But first you must decide what you want to grow, you see. So prepare the ground, what you need to prepare the ground, etc. You, you, you get bacteria in the ground, you dig it up with the air in there, get the bacteria going. And uh, you may have to fertilize it too, to increase the bacterial load and... Insect and is a evidence of balance, of course, and um, and before you even decide to put the seed in, no point putting it in uh, into packed ground. It's impacted. There's no air in it. You know, it's just it's flattened, flattened, flattened. So you got to get the air, break it up, and get the air in there, and get the right kind of place to grow it in the first place. So there's a lot of work goes into the idea, as Pike explained it, and that's what he's talking about: society and revolutions. For the elite themselves, they have their revolutions. You, see, you, you might go along with it, but whatever you're fighting for, you're being used because they have a different goal in mind as to the outcome of where you're supposed to go. Always. Always. It never changes. Then they, they write the history books. So as the next generation thinks, well, this is what happened, why it happened, and of course they lie to. Lying often takes just simple omission of half the story. You don't say, well, I never lied, you know. You just didn't tell them the rest of the story. Which completely alter your perspective on any particular incident or instances of the whole darn war or whatever it happened to be or, or cultural change. So we're the, we're, we're the staging rockets to prepare the soil, you know, the first one, and we get them up, you know, into a certain height uh, above the earth. This is allegorically speaking, of course. And 
they have, they have their goal, you see, to rise higher than the heavens, higher than the gods, just like Nimrod. And uh, it's a good analogy. And so the station rocket drops away. It's already shoved the payload further on with another stage there. And then another stage goes, a second one goes, you see. Then maybe, maybe even a third stage rocket goes. These are all boosters that, that are meant to get the, rocket, the, the payload up there in the space out of the, the Earth's gravitational pull. And that's how it's worked out. That's what we are. Whole eons, worked out in eons of humanity to get them leaped from this stage to that stage to that stage. And then we die off, you see. That's what our function is over. You, know? you fall back to Earth like the, like the spent rocket uh, stages. And they actually explain it to each other like this, of course. And that's what we are. We're completely disposable. We're a source of income from them because we, we produce. They don't need money at the top. It's just that they've trained us to need money and to make it a necessity to make money, which they have totally control at the top, naturally, out of thin air. And then they'll have you all working for this thing called money. Would you all be, if you could all be independent and, and not terrified of surviving, and you knew how to farm, and you all had the ability, to, and there's no regulations on having a little farm somewhere, <laughs> and... Uh, and grow crops and all the rest of it, uh, would you be just as terrified, you see? So we all have to earn this money, you see, to, to survive in this system, which is presented to you as the only way you can survive. You already earn money to pay taxes. There's another con, too, when they brought in the taxes, because at one time folk could live, in, especially in the States, without paying taxes. Once they created the Federal Reserve, the whole idea was so the Reserve could loan to the government, yeah? Uh, a lot of nothings, and then demand payment back. And to get payment back, this is an old technique. It's gone on for thousands of years in other countries, under under the same under different guises. The same same system. But then they get the right to tax the people to pay back the loans. You see, the government. This is how the whole con works. That's what the Bank of England was for. And the Federal Reserve was created to do the same thing. Before the Federal Reserve, at one time the people in uh, Parts of the U.S. didn't pay taxes. In fact, they didn't even need money in some parts of the South. They could grow their own food and so on and uh, live quite simply. And that was their right to live simply. Why the heck not, eh? But when they brought in the taxes, suddenly you get census and there were tax money demanded of you. And, well, then you had to go and get a job to get money to pay them in taxes. What a racket, eh? And folk really vote and think they're free. Oh. Oh, what a scam. <laughs> and then the next generation thinks it's all quite normal because anything becomes normalized very quickly. It's only by, um, well, it says not always been here. No, it hasn't. Well, it's been here for a while, isn't it? Well, yeah. that's how the tricks are done. And that's how, they can, that's how the British Empire really was created. Once they got the the Bank of England in, and gave rights off the ones who owned the banks. Then it decided about the taxation, the public, to pay for all the loans that they'd give to governments and so on. And the private bank, of course, that was behind it. Then uh, then you can really expand the country and use it as a business. The country is the business, you see. And the, the empire is their business, the ones who own the money to start with.
and you set up a system and um, across the world and you create an empire and all the money flows through your hands and your and your relatives' hands, in fact, and acquaintances' hands and people who serve that system which you created and you call it an empire. And then you justify it in the history books as being for the greater good and to civilize the barbarians and things like that. That's what we bring civilization to them. As I've said already, I remember watching an awfully good documentary, and it was about just, uh, it was, I think it was something of Ethiopia, in fact. It's about tribesmen, uh, tribes people who lived in very simply, and they were herdsmen, as it had been for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. Nothing much had changed, and their, their wealth was their cattle. And the guys went off with the cattle every day, and their pastures and stuff guarded them and fought off any wild beasts and things like that. And the women at home, they did the, the, the domestic stuff and the food and the chores, but they also repatched their homes, these little domed homes that weren't huge, but they actually used cow poop. Over the t- and it hardened in the sun, kind of like concrete. But they would do this, and 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 folk would laugh at it. No, you know, these folk could. If the, if the world collapsed tomorrow, the whole system stopped, and the trade stopped, and the, and the ships, from, all these cargoes from China stopped, etc. These folk wouldn't even care or know. It wouldn't make any difference to them. Every tool that they had, they made themselves. So laugh away, folks. You know. This system makes you utterly dependent on an artificial system ruled by others, and that's the key to it. You don't have the rights to know it. even who makes this stuff, owns it or anything else. When they switch off the money, just like the digital system, oh, you've been bad, you've said things you shouldn't have said, we're switching you off. The very thing that Bertrand Russell talked about. It's all here. Plan- long-term planning. Folk never really can't. They, they hear you saying it, but they can't believe. Well, he, they might have said it. He didn't, he didn't realize it was going to come down the... Oh, yes, they did, folks. <laughs> I've got books here where some of the big foundations have members churning out the books in the 1920s and 30s saying that they themselves wouldn't see the, the, the fulfillment of this global system they're going to bring in. But their, their own offspring would be ruling it, and they would see it. And it might be, it might be a third generation, but they, they were positive it would all happen. There's nothing happened that were by chance. In this. The, the plan for, for free trade with China was, was at least mentioned, I've mentioned this before, in the 1930s, by what was then the early Royal Institute for International Affairs, In their, in their annual meeting, and they published a book on it, and I have it here. They talked about that, that eventually China would take over as the policeman of the world. At that time, the U.S. wasn't the complete policeman of the world in the 1930s. After the war, it would be, but this is before the war started. You're, living a, you're just living through a script, a big long-term schedule. And the same organizations that held the meeting are still running the show today and talking about it. See, we get caught up in the minutiae of 
the little bits. That's when they throw lots of little conflicting facts out to you. It's all opposing facts, isn't it? And statistics and opposing statistics from the same sources until you're in a quagmire of data. It's like data barbed wire, a mental. It's around your brain. It's everywhere. And it's put out there intentionally for you to pick them up and start arguing facts. Because the facts are glaringly absent from what they're dishing out. They want you to know that. They want you to get tied up in it, you see. It's a technique, a massive psyop operation. They go for different purposes and a different reason. You don't lock down the world just spontaneously. It took years and years and years to plan all this. And before I prattle on any longer, I better mention again, it's very important what I'm saying, to, to go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website and take a note of all the sites that are mine listed there, of all my official sites, because you are in a time when they're pulling sites down. And if they pull one down, maybe you'll have another one to go to, you see. These are my official sites. And there are other sites out there that use my stuff and put it up for me, you know. Or they'll ask me if they can put it up and say, yeah, go ahead. So the domain I'm using, as long as they don't change anything, you see. But uh, the ones I own myself, I'm responsible for our, our uh, cuttingthroughmedias.com and all the sites listed there. So remember to go into them and use them when you need to because they're awfully important. It's, we're going through terrible times. This is just the start of the massive censorship. This is it. Once you get up to the color coding wartime thing, I had the same thing after 9 11, all red alert, amber alert, yada, yada, all the stuff from the old Star Trek series. Uh, to, uh, for terrorism, then you see now it's a war of terror on the public with COVID, and they're using the same sort of ideas, you know, of of scales and tier lockdowns they call them, and it's all mentioned in Event Two Hundred One and and and, and the, the lockstep part of the Rockefeller publication, two thousand and ten. Lockstep was part of it, and they they talked about that how they eventually would have to lock people up. I mean, be in prison, just any war, you see. If in a war situation, this is what they, they, this is all the techniques they're using as a war, it's for a war situation. And uh, you lock folk up uh, arbitrarily, you see, without trial or anything else, uh, as it did before World War II started in some countries. A lot of folk didn't want the wars, you already broken bus from World War I, you'd lost all your relatives, and they complained about it. Well, they were all locked up at the, at the start of the war, just as it was starting. And no trial, and locked up for four or five years. In Britain, as an example, and other countries too. And that's what they do, you see. They give themselves powers to be tyrants. And they say it's a necessity. Beautiful too. You see, they didn't have such great lawyers in the in past days. The feudal system didn't have that. You know, the kings had, they're pretty brutal. And they didn't just say much to the peasants, just obey or we cut your heads off. And it was that simple, you see. But uh, eventually they got very good about it and sophisticated and and they could get lots and lots of lawyers to, and batteries all worked, all worked together along with public relations, which is propaganda uh, characters. And um, and they'd work together in good PR companies to, to brainwash the public into total compliance, you see. Well, it's for necessity, isn't it? If we, don't, if we don't all help, you see, we'll all die. They're keeping us safe. Who'd have thought, eh? 
I mean, can you imagine Genghis Khan? He, he, could have, he could have just taken over the world, this part of the world, with a small, just a small bunch of bureaucrats and lawyers. But a lot cheaper, eh? We're here to save you from the big dragons. Really? Oh yeah, they're coming. But you see, if we're here, there's a magical property we have inside of us, and, and it repels the dragons, you know. Really? Oh yeah, sure. Oh, okay, okay. What do we have to do? Give up all your rights and, and we'll be the bosses. and Just for this emergency period only, you understand. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite good, really. And that's how it works. Quite simple. So again, send a few bucks my way, cutting through matrix.com. And there's books in this there, too. And But definitely, you can get PayPal, cash, whatever, is... Definitely handy, and uh, checks as well, even. But we're in a, a terrible time. Uh, it's going to get worse, because, again, once you get through the higher-level tiered system, which they really want to ramp through, uh, and they have the, they've got the machinery ready, the big cranking machine, all this churn out statistics, nothing to do with reality. And, of course, the more tests they give out, they know, the more will we'll come back positive because they're, they're pretty well designed that way. They're so, they're such a, that's why they picked that test, by the way. Because yeah. it's so ambiguous and guaranteed to be so. They can have you, everybody arguing about it. As you're all arguing, they're locking you all down. So, well, you know, and it isn't until they would give you, actually, who's sick because of it? Well, you don't get these, these figures of who's actually sick with it, you see. Or you get us new cases. No, the more more tests you do, the more cases you'll find. Because these fragments, then it's fragments of particular viruses, and not even a, a particular one, but a general type <laughs> uh, that actually are used for the testing. And even then, depending on what labs you go to, you get different results anyway. And different countries actually have different levels once it goes through this generating system of, of multiplication of the particles to decide if you've actually had the disease or not, or you got it. That's how, how, how the, the, the inventor, for goodness sake, said it's not to be, it's useless for diagnostic, diagnostic purposes. Anyway, that's nothing. the facts don't matter. You're going through terrible times. And I keep telling people, don't wait for government to do anything. The government's all on board with this. This is a bigger... This is the, the technique to be used to bring into complete sustainability, depopulation, lowered expectation, post-consumerist society that I've been talking about for years. This is the excuse to make it happen. That's what the, the reset's all about. And back to the main trait that you have to survive, and that's that you're, you have natural humanity to each other. If you lose that, you're done for. And in a material, ultra-materialistic society, you only find this, it gets worse and worse all the time for helping each other out. It creates selfishness, and it's been indoctrinated into you when they gave you leaders, which are psychopaths and whole upper crust that's really psychopathic. And and pushed at has been the way to be. Well, you you don't have the millions that they have. You don't live in the lifestyles that they have, or the so-called celebrities, these nothings that they make into stars. They're meant to influence your behavior, for you emulate their their, their behavior. You you can't afford that, so uh, you know. You're not even in the game. 
you know, in the way of trying to get what they've got, you'll probably lose your humanity because you, you, you adopt a psychopathic culture. You don't have to be a psychopath to adopt the culture. That's why horrific things happen when tyrants take over. And even when it's evident that slaughter is taking place or genocide or whatever, uh, the rest of the public go into complete shock and say nothing, or they're kept in ignorant. But the ones that are managing it all, the bureaucracies, they're well aware of it, and they'll say nothing too. You know? That never changes. But when a real psychopathic uh, culture is run by the real psychopaths, we're in big, big trouble. And uh, when we are in trouble, there's no doubt about it. It's like, again, back to, to what um, sustainability is all about, is depopulation. As th- this is factual. Read their own articles from the Club of Rome. Read their articles on sustainability. They're all, WEF is the same. And how you must go in. And I, I give these talks years ago on sustainability and, and brownouts that would be coming eventually. That the meetings in Europe back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, about the coming energy crisis they would create and how they, they, would, they would actually ration energy and give you rolling brownouts. They practiced in some countries in Europe with it already to, see, to iron out the, the problems so that it's all ready to go about shortly, probably this winter, next spring, is when they'll hit you with the, the, the rationing of power. Maurice Strong, the same character that, that uh, again, fronted for the Rockefellers. It was all drafted up the whole for the Rio summit, the whole thing, and sustainability and so on. And biodiversity it was all to do with sustainability and depopulation, cutting back energy and all kind of all kinds of production and consumer products, etc. That was all to start to slide into it. Uh, see, it's all your fault. So they, they hit, and the Club of Rome said that they, they, they pretty well hit on the idea of blaming humanity using the idea of climate change. Actually, that, that's what they were tasked with, finding a way to get the public to give up their rights and freedoms, to save the world, you know, and blame the public at the same time. And they've trained a whole generation uh, in their 20s now uh, who, uh, who believe all this. I mean, that's all they've had through schooling. There's nothing you can't train youngsters into. Every tyrant in history knows that. It's even in the Bible, you know. Uh, you find old bits in the Old Testament how they could use the, the children could turn on their parents and kill their parents and so on. The standard stuff down through time, you know, when communists in Latin America and elsewhere have taken over, they've often used youth groups, youth brigades to create them. And even the States has been behind the creation of some of these ones by Latin America, as we know, with the School of the Americas. But they, they create youth brigades, and the first thing they were taught to do is kill their parents and kill that, to be a member. And that's, this is all through the gangs of culture in Latin America now. To get into the gang, you're going to kill, kill an adult. Just, it doesn't matter really who it is. Just kill one of them, because they're the enemy. And then they're trained to be radical little soldiers, mercenary soldiers for the cause. Nothing happened by itself. Everything gets funded, everything gets directed and trained. The CIA is up to its... Uh, nostrils and the stink that is made across the planet for such a long time with an agenda that, that, that most Americans would, would freak out about if they could actually understand any of it 
it's meant to be so secretive you don't understand. Because you're not meant to understand. It's nothing to do with helping any of you. What country could actually believe they have some kind of democracy when they have secret service establishments that are so secretive even the politicians can't find out what they're up to? Why go along with the pretense of voting politicians in, you know? So you actually believe that that's all there is to it. You forget very quickly, isn't it? There's another secretive organization running your country. Uh, It's old techniques, eh? Work awfully well. So yeah, sustainability, depopulation, reduced energy supplies. Even a few years ago, they mentioned that at the WF and in the climate meeting, that they could get their agenda through by just reducing basic energy. And that's heating, cooling, everything, electricity, you name it. Britain, I gave a talk years ago when it became normal. They normalized the deaths in the winter in Britain of folk dying in their homes. Not on the streets, but in their homes. Now it's normal, so many thousands a year, you know. Ah, well, you know, it's just, you couldn't afford their, their, the, the, the credits, the energy credits, energy unit credits, they call them in Britain. And so it's okay. The same government that's taxed these people into the graves with a life often of austerity <laughs> through taxes and, and, and they didn't have all the cash when they were growing up. And who were bringing in lots of migrants and, and housing them in hotels and the whole bit. But meanwhile, the same people are freezing to death in their homes. And you think that's okay. Do you realize how screwed up your brains are? Huh? That's incredible. They're finished, I'm afraid. Countries have accepted all this. They're completely finished. They're so immobilized. Their brains are, are literally compartmentalized and in stasis in some parts of them. Where they can't figure out that. How can your government is allowing you lot to, to freeze to death and your older folk to freeze in their own homes and, and say it's normal? But the same folk can't get money from the taxes they're paid to heat themselves because it's going to bring in more people from elsewhere. Do you realize you're finished? You're so coward, you can't even stand up for yourselves. And that's the whole key of it, isn't it? I was reading recently about the tenders that the Canadian government put out for building these big camps for possibly for, you know, infectious diseases, possibly. It could be used for any function once you come up across Canada and I'll put up the PDFs from the government tonight and um, if folk can look into it if they want to. But again, the, the government's going to build it to keep you safe. But, but we heard this before in history, yeah? And then, and they've even got ten. They want, they want these big, massive companies, the kind of Halliburton-type companies that used to um, that manage multitasking kind of corporations. This big, big umbrella system that, that would take care of it. Because government, the government really doesn't exist anymore. It's completely farmed out to private companies. That's another thing too, you know. 
you'd have to get back to basics. You'd be surprised how much money you'd have in your pocket uh, if it wasn't for his government farming every possible uh, task out to, to private corporations. That they're generally their pals, you know. Maybe even relatives, some of them. And uh, so anyway, they've got these camps. They want to put these camps up and have these big private security companies too. They're trained and licensed to take care of them. So there's your guards. There's camps and guards right off the bat. Now, these are obviously long-term projects, and, and you better understand something. This COVID is not meant to go away. It's here forever, or the idea of it. Yeah? Here forever. It's, it's better than terrorism, you know, from the 9-11 thing that changed every, every day. And again, every country never meant to color coding of terrorism. Oh, it's a red alert, it's an amber alert, it's a whatever. And there's a tier, it has a one, two, three, four, five tier lockdown, different grades of lockdown, with color coding on the phone apps, by the way. Same thing, eh? <laughs> Which was all tried out in China in the spring. They were copying now. But the camps, here's the camps on the go as well. These are going to be long-term, maybe perpetual things. So, yeah, it's, it's beautiful, the COVID, is to be here forever, regardless of evidence or lack of or whatever. It's perfect, because every year, people, th- until COVID, most folks seem to have, th- I think I used to give talks about this too. Ah, in, in the 20th century, right? and with towns and cities, with a little bit of money coming in, and then insurance came in, insurance companies came in eh, for, to get buried and so on. But also, let's get the undertakers, a massive business undertaking. Eh? And you take the folk under, you put them under, that's the idea of undertaking. And it really flourished in the 20th century. Most peasants at one time couldn't afford it to get uh, these kind of, or you did it yourselves, your own families would, would actually take you to the, to the graveyard and dig it up the place for you and put you in and so on. Lots of people couldn't have coffins because it was too expensive. And uh, income is the undertaker. As soon as you get a few bucks in your pocket, there's a thousand companies spring up. That, that in each, and thousands of companies are after, after each penny you've got. If every penny you earn, there's a thousand companies wants it. So that, that's how the system is. This, this is the city system of Plato he talked about. And how they would use the cities to basically take over the world and for a system, the system that would be planned down through the ages, actually, even before he came along. So anyway, you have your uh, insurance companies and undertakers, and undertakers would come to their homes at one point, because most folk, again, were, would die at home. Once they got a national health service, and they could have them farmed out to, to either private nursing homes, as which they're doing now, of course, where they literally just keep food and water from you until you die. It's to speed up the process. Or they give you euthanasia now in advance. The more civilized countries get euthanasia. And then Undertaker deals with all that too. So you don't really see much of the misery, you see. Uh, if you, and you, before COVID, you could get in and see people in, in the homes and... and uh, and exit, I call them exit homes, some of these places. Because we've lost our humanity, even in, the, even, even in these homes, definitely. The whole purpose of them, etc. And I was, I, mean, I keep getting sidetracked with thoughts here, but I was just thinking there that, you know, up until, you know, the, the 30s and so on, you, you didn't have all these nursing homes. 
It was the mafias that came in during Prohibition, and Al Capone was one of you, that restarted chains of nursing homes and retirement homes. Eh? <laughs> and he could launder a lot of money through them too. But really, as I say, what, at one time, we were all conscious of death. Right up into the 20th century, and into the, the first part of the 20th century, it wasn't unusual for children to die young, very young. Eh? And you had uh, some excellent photographic work about that. There was a whole business in photography eventually in Canada and elsewhere. Uh, with uh, they, they'd actually photograph the children. They try to prop them up, look them, make them look alive and stuff for photographs that died. It was so common, you see. And the houses were, were pretty bad. The houses didn't have, a, and most of it was hygiene. They could be nice, clean homes, but they didn't have hot running water and so on. You then bacterium especially flourishes. So they didn't have that in all the homes at one point. And, uh, and so yet people would die young. Other homes were so cold and drafty. You didn't, you didn't have a double glazing either, by the way, in your windows. You did frost. You know, I grew up like that with frost and with ice inside the windows, you know. Uh, one panes, and that was it. And when, it, when, when heating it was rationed, here's the key which the view, the, the, they know what they've done in the past, you see. But fuel was rationed and coal was rationed because it was so expensive. They kept it expensive in the working class areas too. Uh, that you couldn't afford to heat all the rooms or the bedrooms. You made one, one fire in the living room, that was it. And it rose up maybe a little bit. If you were, had the bedroom above it, you had a little bit of heat. If you didn't, well, tough cheese. But that's how things really were, right up until a good part of Britain, where I was growing up, in different areas. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of folk would, would, would die young. And you get all these different problems, ear aches and infections in your ears and stuff like that with the, with the climate and the cold and yada yada and other things now too. So they know that if they start pulling down energy again or making it more exp- so expensive you can't heat the ears, well, eventually this all returns and folks start to die. It's to bring down the pot. You understand they want to reduce the pot. Do how do you think they're going to do it? There, I, I mentioned this before, this term, resolute. When folk are sworn in battle, to go into battle, they're, they're sworn to resolute, to be resolute together. No one will chicken out. Well, that's the whole authorized bureaucracies across the planet working in unison are completely sworn on board with sustainability agenda for depopulation. Look at all the abortions, and this is a hot topic to abortion, but the thing is, once you get into literally killing children who've been born, who weren't wanted, well, that's okay now, because it'll bring down the numbers. I mean, whoa, in the process, we're, we're going to, we're in a horror show, folks, regardless of your pro or con. The fact is, we are responsible for all this happening. And you're in a, in a culture now where you've been destroyed by the promotion of promiscuity to destroy the culture, which has the side effect of having ch- lots and lots of children that they're not wanted, and then they bring in the mass abortion. And you understand how it works? People in the 1920s who b- were bringing communism across the West talked about this. You must destroy the system entirely of the West. Culture, the values, everything, not just the family, the compl- all the value system. How do you do it? You promote the things that, that cause the problems. 
It's, it's just too easy, you know. And if you have the money behind you, which is, they've never had problems with the communist parties in the West, even today, you know, the richest folk on the planet, are pushed, because it's more efficient for them to have control over the world. Technocracy, you know. But folk never quite catch it. You, you, they, again, they get caught up in today's battle. Today's battle is just part of an ongoing battle. It's, it's a battlefield with many fronts on it. And folk don't know that. Many fronts. Look what they're doing for the food industry. If they want to cut what they're doing, <laughs> or, or any plant or fact, if, any, if there's any factory still working, they just could say, oh, we're having a mass COVID testing system, you know, a million in this area. Well, they're guaranteed to get X amount of positives, you see. It doesn't mean ill folk, just put positives, and they close it down. They've done it with meat plants in Canada. They can do it with other farms for the grain and for the harvesting, and so it's all gone to pot and so on. You get food scarcity, and then you get rationing coming. A wartime scenario. You cannot... Do you realize this was the, the total lockdown was planned, as I say, years ago? And it, and it isn't in lockstep. They're all in lockstep, and they are all resolute. They've all sworn on to this, come hell or high water. And I mean it. There's nothing going to change their, their way, their, their, their mind about this. There's nothing. All the countless of doctors have come out and signed petitions against all this who are actually working in the hospitals saying it's bogus, you know. It doesn't make any difference. We're looking at resolute, the same face you would see on troops that were turned on their own people as though they were robots. We're seeing it now to the bitter end. That's war scenario. And we forget that it's unfortunate, you know, a lot of folk, you have lots of little breakdowns as you, as you, as you wake up to, to reality. Lots of little ones. It's like the countless deaths of democracy and, and what you believed in. It all dies along the way. When you realize what really runs the world and runs your system and every part of your system. It's a death. That's the same symptoms as a death, you know. Your sadness, then your anger, and there's different phases you go through. When you realize that there's no such thing as democracy, never mind your reality that you thought you had. And folk adapt into every step of whatever period they're, they're, they're living in. H.G. Huh? Wells talked about creating massive uh, arenas for sports to keep the peasants quiet, you know, as an outlet way back then. Others did too, because they all went to the same meetings, the same organizations. And you adapt into it. And then the, so, they, they, so generations grew up with, with football teams that didn't exist before. And the little teams that did exist were just local teams and they were amateurs. They were, nobody played professionally at one time. There's games that children did until the big the same characters that own the news media and so on start buying up them up, making many professional teams and making lots of money off them. But young guys, they get attached to it. They think this is normal. They think this is all theirs. It's not theirs. That's not your team either. 
It's all put on for you. <laughs> for other reasons, eh? Never mind to, to fleece you as well. But also it keep you fairly quiet and, and content and, and your angst is, is played out on a field vicariously. You don't play the match yourself. It's played through the other people that you identify with as some kind of tribal team. It's all done deliberately. But you'll you'll cry and, and bemoan it if you can't if it gets cancelled or whatever, because you right, you think that's your right. No, it's no. It's all it didn't exist in your great granddad's time. You know? There's reasons for everything, and folk make money off us. Every way you turn, someone's making stacks of money off you, and they're public-private partnerships to get money off the tax grants to build their massive new arenas. Eh? But that's how the world runs, and most folk don't know. The, the, <laughs> getting back to the penny novels I talked about earlier, uh, a lot of these novels would help for the guys. They would be war things. So, so the peasant guys who were, if they were lucky to get a job in the factory and work sixteen hours a day, um, could escape into fantasy. It could, it could be some kind of soldier doing some heroic thing in a battle and getting medals for it in his fantasy. That's, that's what you played out. All these, there was, it was just formula books, formula books, you know. And for the, for, the, for the women, they would have these romance stories. Just like 1920s, they churned out all these ballroom dancing things and cars and limos and butlers and for, for, for working class girls to, to just have their tongues hanging out over and just, my God, that's, I should have all that. <laughs> Total escapism by giving you the unobtainable. And that's what they turned out. And, and the one for the women, the ones for the women eventually turned into romance ones. And, the, and I remember reading some a few years back how it was so lucrative a field. It was really soft porn for women that they turned into. It was all, all catered for that too. So th- there's nothing happens by chance by itself. And again, the whole penny novel idea was to stop people from um, forming unions and things like that, and organizations for rights, keep them in la-la land and fantasy and escapism, and they wouldn't get so angry. That was the idea. Huh? That's how we're managed, isn't it? Now, of course, we're programmed completely through fiction, and we have been our whole lives long. Now, the idea about resources, running out of resources, was never the, the, the problem at all. It was the more resources you've got, and the healthier you are, and more energy you can use, and the more business there is for earning money, the more folk can have children, and the bigger society becomes, even though it's literally been declining in the West. The West is an incredible target of this depopulation agenda, and, and they were declining their populations before the mass migration and so on. And, and not terribly. They could, they could have balanced out eventually into something which was more workable, actually, and it would have happened. But they flooded the country with mass migration to make it seem that you're also overcrowded and overpopulated until everybody thinks, well, guess we are. You know, no, you're not. It's mass migration. From the own statistics from the Department of Statistics in Britain, they admit this every year, but folks seem to neglect that part. But no, you can't please the bosses, you see. It's depopulation across the world is what they want. Uh, and they definitely have a sliding scale of different countries and priorities with others and so on. And that's what you're living through, is uh, herd management, really. Herd management, and of course you get herd immunity and herd vaccinations coming along the pike. 
because they don't want you to have your own herd immunity, even though the folk are getting it. <laughs> I, I just want to touch on something before I forget it, and that's the so there is the idea of herd immunity. I've touched on it before. Now, the media keeps through the terror campaign by the media, which is authorized, of course, and promoted. And I'm sure they get paid well to do it. They have. Um, now, also, there's still be so many cases. So many. Ca- when you say, "My God, eventually everybody is going to be a case." Wouldn't you think that? If you didn't understand anything at all. If they find, you find you know, 10,000 new cases in this area and because they've tested about half a million that, that day, you know, the day before. And another, oh, so, well, everybody's going to be a case. Now, if you're a case of COVID, how do you think they can eventually test negative for it? Do you think the virus eventually, this, this, uh, I'm giving up with this pair, I'm, I can't win the battle, I'm just going to give up. Or do you think maybe COVID's got a, a little clock inside it that switches it off? No, we're talking about folk who don't get any, any kind of treatment because they aren't sick, eh? And because the tests that they're using pick up little particles of dead, what's called viruses, but there's supposed little particles of, almost like casings, you might say, you know. Because it isn't a bacterium with a case, actually, a virus, but regardless, little bits and pieces. Uh, this, this is the theory behind it all. You know. And uh, do you think this gives up? And, no, you see, these folk, they're not worried about because, and you shouldn't worry about them, because it means they've developed antibodies to it, if they had it in the first place. You know. They've now developed antibodies which over, like always, this happens with all viruses, and, and it destroys, you know, it, it kills off the virus. That's why you can test them later and they're clear, you see, even with the faulty testing. But they're clear regardless. You, you can do antibody tests, and they'll say, oh, no, seem to have antibodies against it. So therefore, that's a blood test for that, you see. And uh, so anyway, that, there you go. That's herd immunity, which is normal. But they don't want to tell you that, do they? They want to leave you th- in limbo that, oh no, my God, all these cases are just adding up until there must be about a hundred million in your own country with it. That's what you're led to think, because you're, you're reading the stats from last last month, tested how many got it, and then the next month, and so, and my God, we must have, no, it's gone away, obviously. <laughs> And these people, because now they're immune to it. They have herd immunity, which supposedly is what they want the vaccines to do. But if you, if you, get, it, if you get it naturally, herd immunity, then, then you haven't got any side effects from a vaccine. It's far easier and healthier <laughs> to have natural herd immunity develop with it. And I've got all these articles here from the vaccine companies talking about this. Uh, by the way, just mentioning this is going to get folk banned. Maybe me too. Just mentioning it. That's how bad it is now. But they, again, we're in a stage now where they said they're going to eventual, uh, not just banning folk here and banning folk there, and, and um, but they're arresting people for, for speaking out now. You're not allowed to say anything in this democratic system. This contrary to, to, to the overlords, you know, you, you can't say anything. There's the, are you going to vote for this system? 
you should de- be demanding that these characters are pushing this get all arrested here for the incredible damage to, to the economy, to the structure of society, to the families, to the elderly. Never mind the mental health aspect of it too and the physical health aspect of folk who've, who've been dying needlessly because they can't get treatments. This, this are, these are war crimes and these people should be held. I really mean that. If, you, if they get away with this, hell is going to be extended for an awful, maybe the rest of your life on planet Earth here. That's why they're resolute at the top. They know what will happen. If they, if they let up on the drumbeats, they know. And none of them, the psychopaths like life. They enjoy life better, more than you do because they don't worry about things. <laughs> they enjoy things. Eh? They really do. So this is the system you're in now and, um, and they're all resolute indeed Because they know the consequences If they let it go in this they, And the public uh, If a miracle happened And they did back off You'd have to still push on To get these characters arrested Because the, the lies that have been told Are so incredible and the disasters are so horrible, what they've done. You'll never recover economically of this to begin with. You know, again, look at how the plan for sustainability has worked. Boom, post-consumer, post-this, post-that, all done. Boom, boom, boom. When one fell blow, close down everything, and guess what happens? <laughs> and then they borrow, supposedly borrow money from characters. Who are these characters at lend? Where did they get the money? Is money money or is it a blip on a screen? Huh? Out of nothing. But they're going to end up saying that they own you, literally own you and your nation's lock, stock and barrel. If they say that it's all going to get paid back somehow, huh? Mm-mm-mm. Total war scenario, eh? Ah. <sighs> I used to read articles and, and in books too about bureaucrats and how societies functioned when they were invaded by their nations. And it's really interesting. To me, in a way, that kind of stuff's pretty dry for some people, but it's interesting too because you look back at history and you say, well, how, why did France just capitulate? And, and, and well, they give you wonderful movies about resistance fighters and all that, but it's generally just, just the communist, small po- communist po- pockets here and there and so on. But the fact is, there was no great push, you see. And forget Germany, too. I'm talking even before that as well. I mean, Britain invaded <laughs> an awful lot of countries just to help you, to, to save them and give them civilization, you understand. I suppose that uh, certain rich families in London they already, already owned the banks, <laughs> could own the whole empire. That's the whole purpose of making an empire. Private businesses, I say. You think about it, how, how, how they manage the minds and the psyches of the people doing the invading. Uh, and a lot of folk would think it is for the greater good. You know, well, you know, look at look, look at where they're living. As I say, well, leave them alone. And as we all fall apart 100 years down the road, which we're doing now, or 200 years, uh, they, they can still go. You can't. We've, the people who are wearing all the fancy buttons and stuff, shiny buttons and the fancy outfits could all die off. But the folk they're, in, they're trying to dominate um, literally could continue for 
thousands of years like that. So who's superior? Huh? Did the people look unhappy to you in these, these tribal situations? Well, you know, they can't read you know, Dickens and, you know. Do you really need that? Do you think it all comes down to the education you've got to give you happiness? Are you happier because of an education? <laughs> think about it, really. When you think some of these, these, these folks could pass down their histories just orally to each other, you know. Did it really matter outside their own tribe what happened in the world? They could look at the stars and get just as much satisfaction and wonderment out of them too. You see? So it's all how you, what you think of as civilization. Civilization is a, a more perfected form of slavery. And that, that's what you, know, you find that um, Charles Galton Darwin talked about slavery in the next million years. We're in it, by the way, the system he talked about. And he was the physicist, remember, who worked on the atomic bomb in Manhattan Project that brought his book out in the 1950s, the next million years, rather unabashedly, too. Because at that time, right after World War II, the UN was pushing to, to take over the world quite openly. They had articles out and, and published in all the top papers. It was maybe time that people accept the need global government and the, this, this national idea was just old, old stuff, old hats, is it? And so they're rather boastful about their, uh, until the folks started kicking back. They didn't want this idea of some un, unknown people across the sea somewhere, sitting somewhere and dictating your affairs at home. It just uh, doesn't seem right. And it's true. It's so true. So the EU, if you're not in the EU itself, and Britain certainly wasn't in, living in Europe, then it, 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 it uses the faceless people across the, across the part of the world, eh, running you all these countries. And of course, we know the commission wasn't democratic anyway at the very top. Regardless of the politicians down below, they had no real rights at all to change. It was all done by the commission. But facts don't matter even there. But, but you think about it, they came up with a... Uh, you know, the idea of eugenics, and that was a big, big part. All down through all the Darwin families. And um, Charles Galton Darwin, the Manhattan Project guy, and he was quite open about it, and he says uh, that slavery has always existed and down through time in one form or another. That's, a, that, that's what I'm talking about here. Your perceptions of things. You're, you're, you've been trained to see things and even given terms for certain things which are awfully misleading so that you don't catch on that you're in a form of slavery. So he said, it's always existed, uh, slavery, in some form or another, and I've no doubt it will, it will continue in one form or another down through the future. You're at a stage now, which is interesting, the parallels uh, that you're in, the paradoxes, really, of a Soviet-type system of technocracy running everything, experts, you see. Uh, but, but it's like masses, uh, the armies of them, layers and layers and layers of ex, all living, living off of the, of the tech, of the purse of the public. And also on behalf and with the top corporate bosses in the world, C quickly said the new feudal is a new feudal system we're going to bring in. He said, 
and he was all for it. A new feudal system, a non-democratic, a feudal system. And the overlords, he said, will be the CEOs of the top international corporations. Well, you're here. But that's a paradox, eh? you you a Sovietized system, just like the Rees Commission talked about, merging with the capitalist system, uh, working, working as one, basically. And we're feeding the mouths of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of bureaucrats and civil servants. And never mind all the private companies that are really the same too, like private corporate groups of civil servants and bureaucrats that are all farmed out. We are the slaves paying for all. And the slaves live humbly and getting more humble is the, is the, is the, is the big plan. And, uh, and more, more um, primitive lifestyle, as we're going into, planned, as these overlords, these, these scum that live off of you, are getting richer and richer and living better and higher now. That's why they won't ever turn against. This is why they, they'll rather kill you off before they admit they're wrong. They've got so much to gain from it. And getting back to the books I read on, on all the different, um, Britain too, got any countries and take them over. And, and the, the first thing they do is they, they round up characters who are going to fight against them. Even spokespeople, you see, you round them up. If you can't win them over and bribe them off, you round them up and use martial law type strategy. And you, and you line them up in the village. Like Kitchener did this, Lord Kitchener. Lord Kitchener in Britain, the great Lord Kitchener, his, his uh, the Official Secrets Act, they kept his records classified for a hundred years. And he's the great, wherever they were in real trouble with anything, they, they brought in Kitchener. And he would, uh, he would just, uh, martial law, go to every village and every town, every fifth person, every male, whatever, to pick him out, line him up and shoot him. That was it. And the message came across very quickly, better buckle under or we kill you. And that's how Britain brought civilization to the world. But but the same thing happened is again when you get invaded from other countries in Britain, you know, Britain was near it, but not really in a sense. France definitely was. France had, had meddled Germany too since World War I, wouldn't let them go. They kept going over and, and plundering the, the Ruhr Valley for coal and so on and, and not paying the Germans. It's taking it all from them it's, it's in, in reparation for World War I. And uh, they kept, they kept and so naturally France was going to get invaded if Germany fought its way out of this mess it was locked down into for reparations. The very predictions that the top reporters at the time that churned the books out after the Paris Agreement said it would have to do this. That if the Germans would have to, they kind of pay the whole world off for, for paid everybody else, everybody's costs for the World War I, as though they were solely responsible for it. They'd have to fight their way out or die, start to death. That was that, you know. So they fought their way out of it and, um, and they went to these countries. Uh, but it's interesting reading. Uh, how it works, down through time too, even with the Romans doing the same thing. They go into nations, and there's always a type of bureaucracy, you see, or civil service uh, in, in every country, even in ancient times, that manage things. And uh, eventually the, the bureaucrats and the invading army, the, the civil servants that come in with them to restructure things, 
get pally with their counterparts in the country they're invading, their civil servants, and have so much in common, they blend very, very quickly together. And then start becoming pally with each other, and visiting each other, even intermarrying each other over time. And that's how quick it, they, they adapt. They're already living off the people anyway, they're parasites of any country, <laughs> the invaders and the ones who get invaded, these civil servants. And so they, they adapt rather quickly and say, well, well, you know, it's practical and and survival. We'll survive and live well. We don't want to drop our start of living and we'll all live off the people eventually. So that's how they see it. So that's how it works. Yeah, so Galton Darwin's quite right. Slavery always exists in some form or another, and he, he presumed it always would on behalf of the dominant minority, as Aldous uh, Huxley talked about. And we call them a dominant minority that ruled everything. And there was a dominant, uh, he, you call it a technocratic group that he said he belonged to, the scientific group that served the dominant minority. And in science, he's talking about all kinds of science, including sociology and psychology and psychiatry and behaviorism, all these, all these systems to, to manage the populations and manage people. When I think of the, the elites who ruled and do rule Britain, you know, at one time, that they were quite open about their disdain for the public. Of the villains, you know, the the the, the it was a varlet and a and a, a villain and so on. If you were a common peasant, you couldn't be trusted for anything. You see, you were some kind of midget, you know, like mental midget, and that's how they saw you as unfit, unclean, and everything else. And that was the way of it. And they had to do a real good makeover to convince the public that they changed when World War I came along. We're different now. And, and uh, yeah, we'll get some of your tax money going back and getting houses. We've got a lot of debts to pay because of the war and stuff. And, but still, you know, you, and you might get some votes now. You see, maybe, not all of you, but you get some votes to the same thing. I mean, they call Britain the greatest democracy in the world. Who's kidding who? And the, lo- the longest democracy in the world. Again, most folk couldn't vote for centuries, eh? Even the U.S. was similar. They didn't want everybody to get the vote, or, or, the, or the men either. All the men get the vote when they first formed. They didn't trust the general population. And you've got to remember that the general uh, people who brought the, the Masons that created the Constitution were wealthy landowners themselves, most of them. So it was an old idea, that, that whole idea of who should get the rights to vote for whatever and so on. And they couldn't be trusted, you see, if you were poor. See, poor is, is, is interesting. It's, you're, you're, it's a crime to be poor, you see. Uh, that's, that, that's what really came behind it. In the poor houses, that had books put out for, the, for those who managed the poor houses in Britain. And the poor houses were not put out really to help the people. They were put out as a warning initially not to be unemployed. That was the point in the Victor- Queen Victoria's time. It was, uh, and they made sure that the hell stories about the poor houses proliferated throughout society. Oh, that, uh, you, you, if you don't do what you're told and so on, you'll lose this job, you'll end up in the poor house. That was a threat that they would use, you see. And so they were not sort of wonderful places to be. Neither, mind you, were some of them as bad as they made them out to be too. And especially, again, once you get into the time of World War I or whatever, or just before World War I, 
there to give uh, some kind of display of because Britain had such a bad name for treating the way it treated its own people. They were, they were the, the sick man of Europe, they called them, because they, they, they had no no system to help the people at all. Germany was way ahead of them with even pension plans and so on, but not Britain. Britain, the class system was so ingrained, it was just astonishing. So they had to have a, a, do a total remake, a, a makeover of good publicity, you see, and good novelists and writers and to remake the whole idea of we were always on the, we're always champions of the people and champions of the, the Commonwealth country. We're, we're champions, you see. The same as Rockefeller did, old Rockefeller, after he had the, the tents, the cities shot up by the militias that he ordered in to shoot up striking miners and had to remake them. It's like, it's like Beneficent character now, remake him into a, a philanthropist. He was here to help them now, you see. Total makeover. Same thing happened with uh, the countries that had colonies. Same idea. And these, that, this is the truth of things, you know. Now, it's not to say either that the folk who end up putting uniforms in, that the peasants <laughs> who end up filling the uniforms, cannon fodder, um, are evil people either. Because they were given no option as to, generally, as to... In fact, Britain was so good at, uh, at the wars, when they had different wars on the go, they had agreed with the different uh, factory owners who had the votes in the parliaments and so on, these characters. Um, they, could, they could get them to lay off lots of people, and the government would subsidize any losses and so on. The guys would immediately... There was no pension or lay-off money or... or so that immediately the, it was co- the, the the bands of the army would coincide and go around the different places that were getting laid off, and offer the young guys uh, money to the king shilling and join up and away you went. You see, so that was their option. Everything psychology and management, herd management, and um, and they go off quite proud actually because they think they're going to be a somebody. You know, they don't. Most of them often couldn't read or write or could could hardly write at all. That's really how bad it was. And they were sent off to, to the slaughter, often. Oftentimes. And nothing much has changed, even today. There's people across Britain who are quite proud to have their youngsters going off at the armies. But if you're not getting invaded, why are, you, why are you proud for your guys to get sent off to countries that haven't invaded you? You see, logic doesn't matter. It doesn't come into it now. Now, once the thing's normalized, well, this is what we do. We're, we're proud to be it and so on. And they will be proud. A lot of young guys are, are proud to wear the, the outfits. And, but once, once Cold Wars and things are over, uh, you don't really have a, you can't fall back on why you exist. So you, so you end up, you're really a mercenary. And you have to accept that's what you are now as a mercenary. I don't care about the, oh, we're really working under the United Nations. You're still a mercenary. And the United Nations isn't what you think it is either, with its purposes and different so on. Reality is, is vastly different than the way it's portrayed to you, this simplistic way that they want you all to, all to believe in. It really is astonishing what we, how we're trained and trained to believe absolute nonsense. And, and they don't stop with it, as I say, they can talk about the coming war with Germany and Japan in the 1930s in their own books, the Rockefeller Group. And yet, it, once it happens, it's all, all supposedly a surprise. Yeah. And surprise attacks and so on. Vietnam is the same thing, the Gulf of, of Tonkin incident. 
I don't know if the, if the, the old tapes are still there of the, of the, the captains on the ships in, in Tonkin in, in communication with the president's group, you know, in McNamara. And then they kept asking, they kept, it's a rough sea. And they say, is there any trails of torpedoes? No. Are you sure there's not any? Well, I can't see any. Is there any possibility at all? There might have been. Well, it's impossible. You really say, well, that, that means it's possible to say it too. Well, you know, that's what they went on. That they'd been, had torpedoes fired and didn't happen. Didn't matter. False flag, complete false flag. Nine eleven happened. With about a thousand coincidences all happening that day, supposedly. It really is astonishing, isn't it? Absolutely astonishing. Her reality is totally warped immediately, and the cover ups are going. It's just, you astronaut. And then again, you had the same thing in Britain with, with 7 7, eh? And the coincidences. <laughs> Come on here. Uh, uh. No coincidence at all, obviously. And the, 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 again, nine eleven was was to bring the whole world into its knees under a unified group of uh, fighting terrorism. And there you go. Now it's COVID. We're all unified to fight COVID and crash the world's economies on behalf of the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and the global reset into austerity and poverty with all of its fallout, which they know is going to happen and is happening with death. This is a total war on the public of the planet. <laughs> I hope you realize that. They do at the top. That's why I say they're resolute and they are not going to back off because they know the consequences if they back off now. And what they've done so far is nothing to where they're going to go with all this. The World Bank, as I said before, and I put up their PDF before, from the World Bank Group, and they, they say that they're planning for at least five years of this, and it could be renewed again, this whole part of the, the script of their, their agenda to take care of it. Can you imagine how the world's going to be in five years' time with, with very little getting produced, very little growing for food, huh? hmm? and so on. First time in history, the healthy folk are locked up. First time in history. There's unified lockstep for you across the world. Mm-hmm. Total worry. So, uh, I personally have no doubt this is going to continue. And um, and the public will be led on a few weeks at a time and a few months at a time, a few years at a time, or just in a few months. And see, I, I said all this, this is like repetition, isn't it? Groundhog Day from February, this would all happen. And that's what it is. You're, you're conned and goaded and lied, you know, and led and cajoled and humored a little bit at a time as you're lied to and lied to and lied to for compliance sake, into a pre-written agenda. And so I, I still say that you've got to try and have a support group because it's all down to individuals now and, and 
and friends. And so that's what it's all coming down to, folks. Don't wait for government for anything. They're not your friend now. They're, they make quite plain. And you have to learn to help each other out. And the ones who are active and fit have to find ways to get food to other folk and so on. And this coming down the pike, it will come eventually. They're going to use the troops now in England, you probably noticed, eh? To help the public. They said it too in the lockstep thing too, and uh, once for Canada I noticed as well, that we've got the public used to the troops occasionally helping, like sandbags and floods and things. and So that we, we can use the same techniques to help, you know, get the troops out there to to police the public. This is all, this is all disclosed stuff from their own PDFs. From governments, quite some, me. And uh, I think of Ireland too, and places like that. You'd think, really, you'd have hoped, you would have hoped that uh, the countries that have been hammered for centuries, centuries, the worst, and Scotland too, for that matter, even Wales as well, you know, get hammered and hammered. And sucked dry from back in for the, the, that square city of London, and a lot of the, the people around London too. They lived in the big, big, massive, massive uh, mansions they like to show you on television. But the folk there had never had much of a chance at all. You know, Wales was kept as a mining community. Like, it's like they helped fuel the, the homes of Britain and the factories, just like Scotland did, like parts of Scotland did too. And uh, and the ships of 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 the navies and so on. That's part of what they did too, you know. But uh, there's never been much. They've been looked down upon by the elite in London, you know, as though they were some kind of subhuman. Jonathan Swift, best known for Gulliver's Travels, I suppose, and other writings too, uh, wrote a modest proposal, a kind of satirical almost Malthusian text on the state of Ireland in his day and the problems that they had then because Ireland was always under attack for a long time. It was used as a massive farm supply <laughs> for uh, Britain or England and its colonies and for supplying even the troops across the waters in other countries too for, for food and beef and all the rest of it. And it also was a conquered nation what comes out during, uh, if you understand the modest proposal about eating your children, which was, uh, again, a, a kind of um, satirical technique. It goes way back into ancient Roman fact where they, where they wrote about the, using a, a technique to stir up the emotions in the public, to get them talking about uh, things and, and thinking about things. And that's the technique that was used because of the terrible state of the, the Irish people at the time of a big transition into, a, again, industrial age uh, from just, just farming, and they were to be used as human resources. Back then, they talked about human resources and how they uh, kind of manage population, what they would need and what they wouldn't need, etc. Uh, it was all getting talked about way back in his day, using the Malthusian um, dialogue and so on. So what, where we are today is almost... Uh, well, we are. It's the same argument today with the WEF, World Economic Forum, the climate change groups too. It was all, all the same groups, really, talking about too many of you. We don't need you all anymore. 
and you're eating up their resources and you're, you're in the way of their futuristic plans just because of your existence. And I'm not kidding you, this is where we are today. It's a horrible state of affairs to be in and this group have literally usurped all power on the planet to themselves as though it's a quite natural, a natural thing to do. So um, any excuse will do to get what they want and just like, again, getting back to Swift uh, and his modest proposal, uh, let them eat their, their babies, basically, and, and he even <laughs> came up with recipes to get to really get the horror stirred up and get the debate going, because um, it, there, there are planned famines. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. And down through time, he mentions it himself that in ancient times, uh, some countries like in Rome for the peasantry and Greece as well, the Grecian islands. Sometimes would actually sterilize, or, or, or you know, uh, they'd um, neuter uh, the boys, for instance, if they, were, if they said there are too many children, some of the islands at one point. And those that owned them often, including in Rome, would do the same thing with uh, if the slave population was getting too big or whatever. Yeah, they're bred slaves, you see, just like they did in Latin America and the Incas, and they bred the slaves. So uh, these are, these are we, again we're li- we live in a, in a, a kind of um, a naive, uh, um, sanitized version of indoctrination. That's what we're given, so that we don't think about these things. We don't, th- and which again is a great cover for those who do talk about them in planned societies all the time, at the top, and they see themselves as the owners of the world and farmers, and we just we're just the animals to them. That tells you so much, folks. I mean, about the people they, they load up and elevate into history as stars, you know, Gulliver's Travels and all that. But that was a pretty typical viewpoint from his class perspective. I may have mentioned it once maybe before that when I was about 15, 15, and uh, it was in the summer, and I worked for a, a few weeks in a grocery store, and part of what I was doing was deboning ribs, you know. You'd take the bones out of these ribs for bacon, and then you'd, you'd bundle up the, the, the meat and you'd tie it off, you know, in these rounds for the, for the slicing machine. But there was an old guy there that they tired who was good at what he did, but but he he was like a he was, he, he looked like a skeleton, and he was a good age, way, way past retirement age, but he was an alcoholic, chronic alcoholic, and he'd pull out his little bottle every, every so often, was boning all of a sudden, have a swig, and he would he would chat and so on, and uh, he had joined the military. As a boy soldier, you see, way back in the year dot, and it had to be had to be around nineteen hundred or something, I would think. You know? I mean, he was so old, just even you look at him. But it's hard to tell alcoholics too, because they're so aged, but just by their appearance. But he he knew about it too, and he mentioned uh, this old ruins of a of a, a prison, a military prison that had been as part of a castle actually. 
but uh, it's outskirts of the castle part, but it's a remnants of a prison. And he mentioned that. He says, you've seen that in town? He said, yeah. He says, I was in it, he said. You know. And he mentioned what they used to do for punishment if you were late back from leave or whatever it happened to be, or insubordination. They literally said... Uh, they, they could lash you. They could lash you, absolutely. They still had the lashing laws back then when he said when he was a boy soldier. But he said that... Uh, and he joined it, surely, because there was nothing else to work at you know, at the time. But he, he said that they put in, in these the, the jails, and, and he says that there's a huge big room there, and they had this huge, maybe a foot, and, maybe a foot and a half wide, uh, stone balls... They've been literally chiseled to be balls, you know, like like huge cannonballs in a sense. Uh, heavy suckers, and they 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 paint them. You had to paint them black at one end of the skull, and then your whole day was to carry them to the other side, like a whitewash. You would use a kind of that very fast drying kind of paint, which they used to use on the buildings. And you got to the other side, and you had to wash the stuff off, and then paint it the other uh, black. So it was white to black, black to white. And then carry them back again, you see, back and forth, back and forth, to break your spirit and your will. Uh, and that's what you had to do. That was a, that he thought that was quite normal. Uh, he didn't have any hard feelings about it. He just realized that's just what they did to try to break your spirit, to get you to obey, you see. And uh, folk don't realize. I mean, this is somebody that I met, yeah, who'd been through that. Whereas all I would have ever thought was the military was way more civilized now, you know. But you're, you're, you're talking to a living person there who experienced the other side of it before they did the great, the great makeover, you see, in the 20th century. And that's really what is pretty, pretty brutal. Yeah? That's how you were treated. There's no sort of, you know... <laughs> Humane anything at all about things, and that was normal to them too. That's what they saw as normal, and uh, and we forget how fast perceptions can be recreated, reinvented, to 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 give you impression of something else altogether very quickly. Uh, and the same with um, the lies they gave them in the World War One about yeah, we'll put your tax money in building. Uh, they, they failed badly on that, so that to get busy in 1920, in the 30s, because they knew there was a war coming again, and they knew they had to get the people into involved. But even after World War II, they were so short in housing that uh, they opened, they gave law, to, 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 to reopen buildings that had been condemned sometimes 70 years before. That was Great Britain. Condemned because it wasn't just rising damp. You had weeping walls and everything. I knew that because I was I was actually decided my life off from one of them <laughs> with the family, and that was your Great Britain that had been through two world wars and supposed they were the victors, uh, but no. It's uh, again come the seventies and eighties, and then definitely from the eighties on, those who were born have no recollection of any of that. They can't imagine it was that. Bad at all. All these sees these dramas put out by the BBC recreating history. You see, uh, 
So yeah, the, the countries that uh, were hated then for some reason, mainly because occasionally they used to give awful problems to the authorities in London. They'd have occasional re- revolutions and rebellions and so on. I've never been... This is, that's what gets me, you see. There's, there's something beyond everything you're told as to what manages the system. But it never forgets. Never forgets. And if you've rebelled against it centuries ago, they'll never forget that either. And they'll have their, their, their wicked way eventually, no doubt about it. And you can imagine, it's, it's, you're beyond the human element when you get into that kind of... I know you can definitely train generations of the same people to hate, to hate, to hate others. There's no doubt about that too. If you make it a cause to teach them to hate, that can be, that's definitely a factor in some folks. But not to the extent you'll see it with, with uh, you think centuries had passed and you think, well, the elite would ease up on, say, the Celtic countries, but no, not at all. Not at all. And then they've got their patsies in, in the Scottish National Government in, in Scotland, and it's an absolute farce. It's an absolute farce. I mean, they're more communistic than, than the guys around Lenin, as far as... Uh, Destroying the borders of Scotland and or anything to do with I mean, that's what got me. Huh? The SNP and suddenly you're international. Wait a minute, international socialism. That's the to the end of borders and nations. So what's the point in fighting? You've all been had for the for the old communist dash capitalist cause, because it's the capitalists that ran communism. The the real capitalists, <laughs> believe you me, ran communism. So let's all go communistic for SNP and eliminate your borders. You, so you fight for sovereignty to give it away. <laughs> and the folks still haven't figured that one out yet, too. You know? And the patsies that are fronting for the government there, too. It's such a joke. It's just a, it's a comedy, really. Beyond a comedy of errors, indeed. Sad, isn't it? To watch destruction, destruction, destruction. Of folk really who keep trying to, to get up there and have a good life for them, and the only way it gets destroyed time after time and after time, just like Ireland, same kind of thing. Pretty sad that. So you have Scotland and Ireland, regardless of how England goes, supposedly, um, still part of the under the EU. And Boris Johnson, of course, in England, uh, that many, including Peter Hitchens. Denounced basically at the beginning as a, a real lefty liberal type that's now remade to be the conservative leader. Kind of what a joke that is, isn't it? With a guy's history himself. Mind you, he was, was he the mayor of London at one point? No, you only made him the mayor of, I'm talking about the city of London. That's a big thing to get into their financial organisation. They're like, what, you're one of us type kind of thing. But again, he's. He's uh, dithered on the Brexit thing as it was meant to happen. And again, Peter Hitchens called him out on that a while back. He said that would probably happen. And um, and I think personally, he's a, I think it's very similar to to the states uh, where if Biden wants to get in, I think the idea is he'll drop out eventually and Harris takes over without getting elected, you see, because I don't think people would vote for her by herself. They'd be elected as the head. And that happened in Canada years ago. It's a common thing used in British Commonwealth countries where Brian Mulroney had done what he was put in to do by his masters. 
with the free trade deals and so on. And he was given stacks of seats on on the boards of big corporations, including Barrick Gold Corp at one point too. And the same thing with Bush Jr. He was given, was it Bush Jr.? He was given a, seats on that very same thing eventually. They always get rewarded with seats on boards. They don't have to attend anything. They just have to put their name on it and they get a massive stipend coming from the, as part of their income every year. That's how things really work, you know. And I think that uh, in Canada, yeah, you had Maroney, he retired early, you know, for, or, or gave up being the Prime Minister, basically. And actually, his second command, uh, who was appointed, it was, um, she was called Kim Campbell, interesting character. And she stepped in, of course, without getting elected and had a year or something like that. I don't know how long she was there for. And, and then she was out. And that's how they often get people in that, that wouldn't get elected, you see, to make a statement for the history books. I think that's really what um, Biden would be. If he did get in, that's what they would do with. I'm pretty sure of it. Boris Johnson is similar. I think that Dominic Rabb would be was is meant to maybe take over from Johnson himself. That's how the game's played for this for the public consumption. So you think, well, you know, the characters that would never get in are going to get elected and just stand down, and their deputies take over. Well, it's more arranged than you can imagine at times. The times in which we live, eh? But, again, they're front people. Everything's a front in the system. And, um... The people who are elected, there's a member that Carl Quigley said, as prime ministers and presidents. And the top echelon, I mean, they're deputies too. You're, you're, only, you're only a small coterie at the top in any party to belong to the CFR, as an example. And Quigley said that himself. And he said for the last, what, 60, 60 years, I think he said. You know, he said that in the 1960s. He said uh, every prime minister and every president of the United States has been a member of the same organization, this group that was for global running the world, globally running the world and into global, a global parliament eventually. He mentioned that in his own book again. So, uh, yeah, they, they, they're, not, they're not just coming out with some kind of fantasy that they have. It's a reality. They belong to organizations that call themselves the establishment. They have different names for it, too. The establishment. And um, and they boast about it. Other times they'll deny it. Oh, no, we're just, a, just an informal group. There's nothing informal about them. They have whole bureaucracies that draft up laws to be put into, to be signed by governments. That's not some little hobby group here, like the CFR. <laughs> and we're living in such a corrupt time, aren't we? Where it's rather open, the, the massive corruption that's there. And it's not that it's new, it's just that they've been better at hiding it in the past. I don't think they could even bother about it now. I can remember, too, when Bush Jr. was in, and even before Jr., you had you had the Clinton, when had the Clintons in? I remember when the Clintons were in, I said you had all these, you had Janet Reno, and you had Waco, and you had uh, eventually Oklahoma City bombing. All these kind of things happened uh, with the same group and at the same time. Um, the Oklahoma City bombing, by the way, they tried to get an anti-terrorism bill through 
domestically. Before that happened, it was turned down. And that weekend it was turned down, voted down. The the, the building went up in Oklahoma City. Uh, You know, you, you can't make this stuff up. You honestly can't make it up. They always get what they want, don't they? Yeah? So it was passed through there quickly and unanimously. That's how things really do work. We, we live through a big, uh, almost like a pantomime. A pantomime in the old sense of, of the theatre uh, was a real fantasy show where you knew the characters were not who they said they were or pretended to be, but it was a good show, you see, a fantasy and that's what we're living through is an amazing fantasy because we must participate in the lies we're told to believe, to, to get anything done and to accept it. It takes an awful lot of fantasy to accept that, you know, what's going on. Massively so. And when other folk who are professionals, and this right now with the whole idea of this uh, supposed pandemic, with thousands of doctors across the world now getting together, who are working in the hospitals, not the people who are who are given titles after they qualify as GPs and work as bureaucrats, but folk in the hospitals come out and say, come on here, we can't go along with this. And they're getting censored and threatened. Something's awfully wrong, and we really have to participate in the fantasy to go along with it, don't we? We really do. Facts don't matter. I've said that for such a long time now, you know, long before COVID came along. Facts don't matter. And here we are with it all. So again, you've got these front people like like Boris Johnson and and you've got the ones for Scotland too and that pretend that they're, uh, again, willfully ignorant. I, I, I just, I don't know, you know. Well, if you lock the country down, we're, we're destitute as it is, you know. Well, yeah... Uh, <laughs> really, uh, it's quite something. The first time in history to say that all the healthy folk get locked down, then everybody gets locked down. Eh? Everybody gets locked down, and even they're even telling you now. Even with, even Fauci mentioned it. Even with the shots, you're still going to get locked down. Wear face masks, and you'll need and our gates mentioned it, and you'll need more shots, different kinds down the road. You know, I love how these tyrants speak, don't you? With such conviction and authority and self-assuredness too. No wonder since they own so much of the system or appear to, you know. But again, I think they're worried too. I think they're fronts as well for much, much bigger ones behind them. Most famous people, you know, that's presented to you, are again, are made to be stars by a, an existing system. The same system that gave you Weishaupt, Adam Weishaupt. Do you really think that Adam Weishaupt just sat there, bored stiff in a library, eh? an English university, just sat there bored stiff. I've read all these books, he says, and I'm bored stiff with it all, you know. And I've read about, you know, ancient history to the present and the march of armies and the march of civilization. And I'm bored with it all, eh? I think I could invent a better system where I could dominate the, the, the schmucks. And, and all the fools that, 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 that are earning cash, and I could divert a lot of cash into my coffers and get them to do it willingly and to serve me through different philanthropic organizations and, and brotherhoods and things like that. You know, we'll, we'll use the Masons like a starting point 
and he just sat there and got bored stiff and came up with it all by himself, eh? And he says, oh, well, I picked for my symbols, and, and he picks the same symbols that Quigley talked about. There's a pyramid and all seeing it, eh? They already existed, had been resuscitated before he came along, mind you, by Freemasonry and Rosicrucians. And he says, yeah, I could, I could really take over all the Masonic lodges and... Um, we get fancy names, like covered names for ourselves, and Spartacus and things like that, you know. And we'll we'll, we'll tell them about here, now. Here's the mysteries, and here's the mysteries of, of Christianity as an example, because that was the main target. You see? And he says, he says, we're giving the real meanings of what Jesus is supposed to be, and 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 the real meanings behind his death and crucifixions, and. And we'll, and we'll drag it out in different degrees. So each time they, they get up to a higher degree, we'll give them a new meaning for the one we gave or lied about before, you see. So, uh, yeah, that's for the lower degrees. But, but you told us that was the last one. No, no, no. He says, he's a higher meaning to it now, you see. And they go on and on and on forever. Uh, that's where they end up, basically, at the top of a staircase that doesn't go anywhere else. Unless you want to jump over the edge of it. But you only think he just sat and dreamed all that up himself and had that incredible financial ability to get himself into all the different lodges and his garret and the characters he ran into all the lodges very quickly too, you know, across a good part of Europe and in, even in America as well, eventually. And uh, and it's just coincidence, of course, that he, he put down that 1776 was the founding, just the same as the founding of America. It's just coincidence that, isn't it? And it's a coincidence too that the seal of the great, the great seal in America has the a, a posing seal in it too with the pyramid and all that. It's uh, that's all coincidence, right? I think in the Bible they should change it all. You know, and I'm surprised. I'm surprised that Weishaupt didn't think of this. This change it all start with Genesis. In the beginning there was a coincidence, and everything else after that was a bigger coincidence. To start that way, because that's what we're getting told to believe. Even it's a coincidence. Hmm? But that's what happens if you, if you get hold up in a library, a big library, you know, and you get bored stuff, and you, you you just start getting ideas of conquest and taking over the world and and uh, creating subversive systems that would eventually use everybody, and you'd laugh at them and scoff at the folk that you get. And he said that too in his own writing, saying that you know, there's a psychopath being arrogant, because they'd love to boast how they've fooled people. And he mentioned that high members of the church had joined it, believing that he was giving them the real meanings of Christianity. And they were thanking him for it, and he laughed and says, the fools, he says, the fools. Yep, that's what happened. The two, see, that's, that's what they said about Paul in the Bible, New Testament. And Kephias said that to him. He says, he says, Paul, Paul, too much learning hath made thee mad, he says. Maybe that's what happens when you read too much, eh? You end up like Weishaupt. But that's what we're told. It was a much bigger operation than little Weishaupt. Much, much bigger. And... But that's how everything's portrayed to us today as well. You, 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 it's the same with all the groups that are demonstrating across the U.S. Highly coordinated, thousands, millions of bucks getting put to them. We know all the sources. Some folk have got banned already from 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 <laughs> for, for publishing all the different uh, companies that gave money to them all. And that tells you a lot in itself, doesn't it? it tells you that all these companies have amazing power. 
and also that your government and well really you have no you have no free press you have no free social um, systems to converse in anymore it's all owned by the big corporations that are funding things that that they're actually being labeled subversive maybe even terroristic or you can take your own opinion and say, well, there's protesting if you want to believe that, but uh, you're not allowed to, 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 to criticize any of the system now of what you see, any reality at all. Uh, it's forbidden. It's forbidden, uh, it's forbidden to mention any facts and truth and any self-perception, uh, even though your perceptions are shared by millions more. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, it's been forbidden, you see. Das ist verboten. And uh, you better get used to the idea. It's here with its social um, electronic systems of censorship, isn't it? Total monopolies. That's why, again, antitrust was always important before. It all started with the Rockefellers. Again, this family that was one of many families actually took over all the resources of America very quickly. And belonged to an organization, which eventually he chaired himself. Old man Rockefeller and then David Rockefeller, they chaired the organizations which they fronted for as they took over the resources of the Americas and banned all competition by by forbidding them to transport their oil and so on on the train tracks the, the event that Rockefeller eventually took over. Amazing. It's the same thing as internet. Oh, you can't use our internet because you said nasty things. And we don't agree with what you say, or we're for, you're not allowed to say those things, and so you can't be on them. And that's where you are, folks, with the same system, monopoly, monopoly, monopoly. But you've got to say, well, who made, who created Zuckerberg? Do you really believe that the Hollywood version, the silly little movie they put out, he was just a genius? You really, you really believe that? No, no, he was launched into stardom and picked for it very young. It's a front man. I've mentioned before about many organizations that eventually had to admit to that the CIA created and owned. And they're big, real corporations that belong to them. They are part of the military-industrial complex now. So these characters are made to be, you know, who they are. Bill Gates is the same. He's a businessman. But some something made sure that that the path for, for Bill Gates was completely smooth and, and, and the doors were opened. And opposing or any any other companies were, that were going to compete were shut out. That's some big, powerful organization that could do that. Never mind all the lawsuits that came in about from IBM and different companies as they tried to say that he was appropriating their their programs or whatever it happened to be or their systems or as corporations do. But that's what you're living in. Is uh, they cre- they create all these fronts, very real things, but fronts nonetheless, and front people, and they elevate them into stardom. And so, a businessman that doesn't have a, even a first aid certificate ends up running world vaccine companies and telling us how to live, and not live, and locking us down for health. And and we're supposed to obey that. You know? It's astonishing, the religious aspect of it, religiosity of it all. It's important, too, to realize how they, they create these characters and and how the big machinery that creates them a stardom to get you to accept them as somehow superior and like geniuses over you. 
As I say, they take a businessman, right? He wasn't an inventor, he was a businessman. We know who his dad was too, but he's definitely a businessman. And his dad was in eugenics as well, and Planned Parenthood, and all these kind of things, and depopulation, etc., etc. And that's where the trust, the, the, like a trust comes in too. But as I say, he reinvents himself once he's, he's supposedly fronting with, with billions of dollars of income every year, right? That you think is all his. And so he doesn't have a first aid certificate, but he, he, he's launched to be a, a somehow supreme authority on vaccinations without even having studied virology or understanding it at all. And he's, he sits there dictating. Again, he gets access across the board. I tell you that this massive agency organization, this cult, if you like, that runs the world, that's huge, yeah? with every top corporation on board, with it, all top media on board, all pushing the same guy, is like a, like a messiah, a religious aspect to it. A man with, because what else is there? He has no qualifications of any kind in this field. But he's pushed, and the whole world is supposed to obey him like he's a god. That's a religious aspect, folks. I mean, come on here. That's a, <laughs> we are run by something much bigger, much, much bigger than politicians or spokespeople, or spokespeople experts, <laughs> as they like to call it now. Much, much bigger than all of that. Whoever runs the system, eh? And creates these characters that were supposed to just obey religiously. They have no qualifications in the fields that they're making us cease our way of living completely into a new system because of, and he doesn't even know I bet he could even explain what a virus is. And none of them even attempt to try and tell you. Have you noticed that too? You see, if, if they start telling the general public what a virus is, how they detect what a virus is, how a virus operates inside the human body, and actually educate you on what the claim is, they don't even, they don't even attempt to do that. Have you noticed that? Just dictate to you what you better do and obey them. And they want you to try something that's novel, <laughs> a new type of vaccine. Never been tried out. Short-term testing is a joke. You know, it's a dangerous joke, folks. Because a lot of these things have long-term effects and permanent effects. And you won't know after a few weeks of testing anything. But based on, on what? Based on Bill Gates, faith in Bill Gates, a man who, who can't describe what it is, a virus, or Fauci, who doesn't attempt to. You understand what's going on? What I'm saying is, if you obey all this, then you're now into insanity. Because they haven't attempted to try to tell you what's behind it all. They haven't tried to attempt to even tell you why you won't get herd, even though you're getting herd immunity, like any other virus, why you've got to ignore the facts of herd immunity. In fact, see, locking you down is to stop the spread of getting herd immunity by acquiring it. Even on a superficial level, you won't even know you've had it. Like lots of other viruses, is it? But your body kicks in with, with an immune response to it. Herd immunity. Why won't your own herd immunity work, huh? 
Well, because we've got a vaccine sitting waiting in the wing for years and it's never been tried and we want to make sure you all take... Well, I, you can't, I can't trust this. That's not good enough to put your life in their hands with a novel kind of... a, a new type of vaccine. Hmm? Oh. Anyway... Uh, this is tyranny. This, this is, it's got all the definitions of tyranny right there, folks. They don't even attempt to explain realistically and honestly why you should take all these that take, would be waiting for a vaccine and why you should be locked down completely at home and not acquire herd immunity the usual way. They don't even bother with that. That's tyranny. That really is. What else can you call it? Well, there you go. Back to Adam Weishaupt's and the, you know his library and his too much reading. Remember to again go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com. I'm sure you get fed me saying that too. But lots of you will forget that, and and in one week I won't be you won't be get me in the usual ways, and uh, then you'll be scratched. I say I wish I'd copied all that down when you said it. Cuttingthroughthematrix.com. List my websites. Save them. For the future use These are official sites And Send a few bucks my way It, it takes money and, and believe you me We're all going through this And the one thing I can be Honestly assure you of Is no one's backing me yeah. I might touch on that After I just mentioned this But no one's backing me I don't have any ulterior motive here I have no, I have no company or organisation behind me and I've, I've given talks before of, of how they supply you with leaders. I mean, do you really expect them not to? So send a few bucks cutting through the matrix.com. Cash is fine. Uh, checks are fine. PayPal's fine. Uh, MoneyGram is fine. If you can think of anything else too, let me know. But uh, yeah, these are this, these are the ways to do it. And hopefully I can keep my sights all up and going and um, and get through this with you because we are going through the biggest trial you've ever had in your, you'll ever have in your lives. This is the biggest trial. All or nothing. World famine or, or, or no world famine. It's all hinging on now. It really is. It really is. And they know it at the top. They plan to bring it. They, do you think they, do you think they sat down? Uh, they really, do you really think they're all so stupid? Really, they say, "Oh, let's close down the entire planet to save them." Well, what will happen if there's no one making anything and there's no money circulating eventually, and and all the food stops? And the, do you really think they have this? Do you really? What do you think? They, honestly, if if you're going to believe them here, you, you, you just, you're going to deserve what you get. I hate to say that. Because they know what they're doing. They know what they're, they're bringing down. And, the, and Fauci and the rest of them gave the clues at the very beginning, way back in February and March, that life will never be the same again. We had the same statement right after 9-11. The dust hadn't cleared. Life will never be the same again. Th th these are all cults. Phrases that are, that are let out, like now is the time, is another phrase that they use. Bill Cooper used that. He mentioned that and he explained what it meant. It was used for revolutions before by an elite. 
and he called his program the hour of the time. These, these are occult phrases, you see. They're used by the organization that runs the planet. And life will never go back to what you thought was normal. Never go back. What part of it? Never go back, don't you get? Now, if it was all cancelled right off the bat now, and you went back to work, and yeah, you could get back, but know that they, they're telling you this, they're not going to let that happen ever. No matter, come hell or high water, are they going to stop this agenda? So again, help each other out. Get set up and ready for it, because you're going to have to have small groups They'll help each other out during the hard time, and some folk can get around certain things to get things that are necessary, blah, 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 during hard times, which are definitely planned, folks. Definitely planned. And now they've got the militaries coming in to help you. Yeah? Militaries, an army, I don't, yeah, the United Nations always prattles on about its armies across it. When, when you see tr- soldiers are meant to go into battle, folks, that's their purpose. Public relations exercises of them handing out food is just that. It's a temporary exercise in publicity. The real purpose is to force. They're called a military force for a reason. And if you're bringing them out to work amongst, for con, along with the contact tracers, whoa, 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 folks. Eh? It's bad enough I've already privatized, again, dished out the cash, these private companies, these mercenary companies across the world, these big, huge corporations, eh, that, that manage prisons, they manage all kinds of things across, including teacher, teachers' uh, colleges, and they, they manage so many, they're, they're multi-holding investment co- holding companies, investment companies, that's what they are, really, eh? They take the place of what governments are there supposed to be doing, you yeah? And they charge a pretty penny for it, too, a lot more than if the, even if the government was doing it themselves. And they always say, well, you can't criticize them, the government will tell you that. Or you can, but nothing you can do about it. It's not us, or they're private. Well, your governments farm them out to the private companies with that intention. You can, there's nothing else you can do about it. <laughs> if it's still in the hands of government, you can vote folk in and out. They, they hate that, you know. Well, it's not my problem, really, you know. It's a private contract. You, know? you can try and sue them. You probably won't win. And folks still prattle on about democracy. Even though the Club of Rome, the big the big think tank for sustainability, that comes out with the big ideas and depopulation and population reduction, even though they say that democracy is just too obsolete, they can't get their big objectives done, trying to satisfy the people. So the front groups are astonishing in the world. But they've always done it, as I've said before. Always done it. And no doubt they'll continue to do it. Why not? They've always infiltrated all kinds of groups to find out what they're up to. They put their own plants in there. And always, always, always. Well, we've even had it in recent history where some folk in Britain came out and their job in MI5 was to infiltrate left-wing groups or, or not necessarily left-wing, but any kind of labor type or, or group working group or in Britain itself. And they'd infiltrate. They'd come in there and they'd dress like they were testers. They'd learn the lingo in advance because everybody's tapped, of course, all our conversations. And 
you learn the language, just like a religion. And uh, you come in, start partnering off, and you're accepted very quickly into it. Then you do volunteer work for them, and they come in, and they say, "Well, you know, that's a lot of work for you. Don't you all go home tonight? I'll fix us. I'll, I'll fix all this up for you." Well, yes, yeah, a lot. No, no. And, and before you know it, within a year, so they elected to, to head the organization. And this is how the communists worked. Same thing. All all companies use the same systems that that work. You see, by government and uh, espionage and infiltration and all the rest of it. Anyway, they they come in and they find out how it's all done. And uh, we had a, a case in Britain where two MI5 came out, a man and a woman who worked together. And, the guy put some good information, and then he went back into it. But his job initially was to infiltrate these groups on behalf of government. That also came out about even Tony Blair, that he was put into the, the left-wing groups uh, by MI5 initially. That's, that was the kind of um, scuttlebutt that came out of people in the know at the time. And Blair himself is a globalist. He works for the globalists, of course, naturally, but so does British government. Uh, the real British government work for the globalists. The folk never figure it out. Just like the folk in America can never figure out the CIA. You know? So it's uh, rather sad. Yeah, they supply you with your leaders. And I can tell you something. I know, I really do know, how much out of a week I, I work just gathering information, perhaps, for a talk. And I was doing five days a week, just information, explaining it to the people on the radio shows. I, I, it, it, it took from morning till night, every day, every day, every day, scouring the planet for information, the relevant information to put together, to, to connect the dots for people. That's what, that's what I did, to show them what was happening as it was developing. And it was, there was no guesswork about it once you had all the pieces of the puzzle in front of you. That's what I do. And it's not conspiracy theory, it's, it's from their own sources. <laughs> so uh, I know how long it takes. And suddenly out of the blue you'd have folk coming out there. They're, they've got written blogs out, you know. And you could say, well, okay, they're taking stuff that like guys and me and others do and, and putting it out uh, themselves, perhaps, with their own spin on it. But then you see them too, just churning out either books along with it, one after the other. Now remember, these folk are presented as individuals. So they're doing daily, daily uh, blogs uh, with stacks of articles. They're doing books out. They're just, I mean, most folk, I have to admit now, are go most folk today have ghostwritten books. They don't do themselves. It's been like for a long, long time. But regardless, anyway, they have their name stamped on it. So they're supposed to have to be doing books and they're putting video uh, videos out there. Now, you're looking at teams of people to do all this work for one person. Did you ever f figure that one out yourselves? <laughs> but I know how long it takes to do even what I do. And there's no way you could be churning books out and doing very well put together uh, videos all on your little lonesome. It's impossible. It's impossible. Even if you, did, you didn't need sleep, it's still impossible for one person to do. So you're supplied with the heroes yeah, and the zeros. Interesting, just, just recently I heard someone uh, who's uh, heavily involved in the money system, a woman, 
there's a lot of good information out there in the past. I haven't really followed her, but but she had, uh, again, uh, government positions at one point, or appointed positions, I should say, over, this, over finance, etc. Uh, and, and she actually mentioned on some talk last week there that she says that the Great Reset is necessary. She's all for it. After getting a big, big following to fight all these things for years and and getting airtime on different uh, alternative media or whatever. But she's all for it. We don't really need the Great Reset and New Way of Living. And she says, we're going to start doing everything locally. Well, that was that was the, the mantra from the globalists from for years. Not just think globally, act locally. But it's all right back to the to the earth, little areas, and, and that there's money to be made and, and, and getting back to basics like growing food and stuff. What, we're going to start to reinvent Little plot farming again, you know, you know how that would, the work involved and just that alone. Never mind the fact is time is awfully short to start learning all that. <laughs> but yeah, you're giving your leaders, folks, and they must be awfully believable initially, at least, to take root and to be believed. And I've seen so, and they're going to be when they're launched initially, they'll take everybody's factual, all the investigators' factual articles, and and they'll push them and repeat them and part them too. And once you get the following, they see, you'll see them bending off <laughs> into a different tangent, or or going into, into discrediting by adding their ridiculous to it. Uh, and 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 then other folk get labelled as ridiculous, uh, uh, you know. But you always find, regardless, that they're well-financed, awfully well-financed. Do you know how much it would cost to get the book publishing companies to push and publish your books and have them distributed across the planet? So I'll get back to what I'm saying. I'm on my Jack Todd, and that's what, uh, there's, there's no one backing me. And yet I still am burning up my life here, putting out what I put out. Because it's imperative that at least folk have a chance to understand what's really happening. And you, you've got to realize, yeah, you, you can see, there's no doubt about it, there's a massive spiritual battle going on here. Massive. More than you know. <laughs> that manifests itself in the physical realm too, and it's utterly, utterly ruthless, folks. But the same token, you can't just go off into your la-la land and say, I'll just dwell in the in the spiritual realm, because you, you can't dis- disregard the physical, understand? You've got a duty in the physical too, because you're placed here, you're here. And it's important that you realize that you can't just let evil prosper. And and this evil is on the greatest rampage that it's had for thousands of years right now. Thousands of years. And it sees that the laurels is going to grab, put on itself at the end. After con- a conquest of the whole planet and everybody and everything on the planet. Within its grasp. And then the reduction over, over a period of time. It could be a generation or two of reducing it, the population right down, 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 down. As they elevate themselves up and up and up and up into higher realms of, of longevity through science and so on. They, they want to become gods, there's no doubt about it. 
Some of them have been rather obvious about that part of it in their public talks. So it's up to you folks to to what to live through evil, and uh, your politicians and your bureaucracies are all as always have decided what side they're on. They're not there to serve the public, but they have masters above the public, obviously that put them there. But for the horror that's coming down, and the horror is going to be inflicted is already inflicted on the public, and what's to come is a lot worse. So you have to. Start either being active or at the very least prepare to help each other out because no one else is going to help you during these terrible times of total surveillance individually. Total. Mandated by uh, the corporations so that you must use their devices, you must have their apps, etc. You must, 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 must. Really. That was always a definition of fascism. Government working completely and lockstep with corporations and private business and capitalism. That is fascism. Real fascism, not the fake one you always hear about, where distorted. Real fascism is government working with, and sometimes on behalf of the big corporations. But definitely governments are working on organizations much bigger than, than just the corporations themselves. Now, Here's an article here. It says, um, Big Brother's watching your social distancing. Furious traffic flow cameras are secretly switched to monitor millions of pedestrians in the government-backed COVID project. And uh, this is from the Daily Mail. So millions of people are being monitored for social distancing. Social distancing, eh? As part of a government-backed project, do you really believe this is for a government-backed for, for first COVID? Do you really believe this? If they can make you dance, you know, on one leg five times a day and tell you it's for they'll fight COVID, and you go along with it, you're doomed. You get com- complete. You're getting trained into the absolutely absolute absurdity. That's where they're going with this. Remember, too, uh, I went through the history of the six feet apart, the two-meter idea, and where it came from. And I mentioned that the, the, it was a schoolgirl, supposedly, that came out with a program developed by her daddy who worked with a military-industrial complex corporation. <laughs> I put it out there. And they, they, this, they, this, they make her popular to get her into Harvard or something eventually. You know. That's what daddies like that, that level do, you see. Nothing to do with anything real. It was put through a computer program what distance you'd have to be apart. As though a virus stops by magic at a certain distance. And just drops to the floor. <laughs> Absurdity. So anyway, um, never mind the damn. It's, it's meant to d- disrupt all social uh, coherence as a society and keep you all apart from each other. So the, 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 these cameras now, they're supposedly meant, supposedly, you really believe they were just meant, they could just suddenly switch something to, to watch all of you? No, no, the, the, this was on the books years ago when they put the darn things in the first place. Right? So the mail can reveal, it says, and what campaigners call a sign, the country is heading to a truly dark place. At least 363 cameras originally installed to monitor traffic flow have been switched 
without public consultation to snoop on pedestrians. When did the public ever, where are they ever consulted on anything that matters? It doesn't happen. So an investigation revealed that uh, Vivacity Labs, the company behind artificial intelligence camera technology, was awarded almost £50,000 by the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy in June to improve the collection of social distancing data. The brief from public body Innovate UK, funded by BEIS, that's Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, said pedestrians in 16 cities would be monitored for how close they are to one another in public places to to help the government plan the removal of lockdown measures. Can you believe this trash? (sighs) Now this this will get unrolled in all the different cameras they've got. Mind they put the cameras up everywhere too. They've got mics in them as well. And then they admitted years ago they were listening to all the conversations of folk. And folks say they're we're in the best, freest democracy in the world. So, naturally, from Vasti Labs' website, it says, the company says it's for marketing purposes only and does not reflect how the technology is actually used. <laughs> oh, that's okay then. And it reveals its cameras were citing commercial confidentiality, but the mail can reveal that they are monitoring social distancing across large swaths of the country, including Liverpool, Oxfordshire, Cambridgeshire, Warwickshire, Manchester, Bournemouth, Peterborough, and Westminster. And it says Vivacity, whose Cambridge educated founder, funders, uh, yeah, that was the same things, created the social distancing tech to help inform government policy decisions, also has a confidential contract to provide the Department for Transport with monthly updates on adherence to social distancing from its cameras across Britain. In addition, the Behavioural Insights team, Quango, that's the BITs I keep talking about too, who uh, yeah, should also be put on trial a lot. You know. The ones that said they should really make the people uh, more anxious until the, and they told the media to hype up the stories, Exager- you know, exaggerate them a bit, to make the folk more anxious so they'll comply. And that's the, the BIT Insights team, Quango. Part funny by the Cabinet Office, the, the government, cited vivacity data in a report about reducing the two-meter rule to one meter. There you go. And uh, despite, despite the widespread potential life-changing use of the data, what? Life-changing use of the data? Hmm? Pedestrians have remained unaware their movements are being tracked because neither the government nor many of the councils who approve the installation of cameras consult the public on their change of use. Uh, again, in an interview last month, Mark Nicholson, one of Avasti's founders, said the technology could soon be expanded to carry out temperature checks depending on how far down the Big Brother route we want to go. <laughs> uh, there you go. It goes on and on this article, too. That's quite a long, that's quite a long article, actually, too. But regardless, this is what you're supposed to put up with, this total fascism, eh? Big bucks. Your your tax money buys your chains, and the folk who 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 produce them get all the contracts. Live high on the hog. We're the hogs, you see. But uh, they certainly do, don't they? Yeah? Another one too is um, 
Ireland, eh? I've got a couple of articles on Ireland there and, and how and how um, their dark winter of discontent has started by our old friend Helena Anbasket. Hmm? And it says that uh, war takes many forms. It's not always obvious who the enemy is or even the tactics being used against you, which are defined as a weapon. In Ireland today, the latest attack began in March and is part of a long-term war over many generations with the current wave of assault now accelerating rapidly. A new harsh lockdown with all its lunacy exposed is still being accepted by the majority of Irish people as somehow necessary, despite the fact that they were told months ago that a similar three-week lockdown would help to flatten the curve and allow the country to go back to some form of normality, albeit a new normality which bore no resemblance to the past in any shape or form. So the Irish folk accepted such action as crucial to the health of the nation, having been threatened with overwhelmed hospitals and doctors' surgeries and people dropping dead in the street and a complete collapse of society, mass unemployment and wholesale decimation of the state. How well they were fooled as they complied to such diktats while hospitals remained empty, as did family businesses from clearly idiotic public politicians who ignored their own rules, repeatedly flaunting their untouchable status to the plebs, who would soon be dying in droves, and care homes where the elderly were abandoned to die without hope, without care, and without family members to console them. Not to mention skyrocketing suicide rates across the demographic spectrum as jobs were lost, historic family businesses and destroyed, and an unprecedented increase in domestic violence, drug addiction, alcohol dependence, and abuse of both. Yeah. And it's a good enough article, too. And it's a dark winter of Irish history, it says. I'll put the tyranny of British rule in the shade as the country implodes on itself voluntarily with a few dissenting voices, still trying to warn the compliant masses as to what's clearly happening right before their eyes. And it's true enough, I knew the winter's it's always favourite time. I used to give the same talk in the winters before the folks die off in the cold in their homes in Britain. I'd give the talks on it, how they use the winter, you see. And uh, that's why they don't generally go off to war in the winter time to a cold country. But see, there's a good reason historically why armies don't attack in winter. It was cold and wet, and armies tend to become bogged down and demoralized very quickly. Disease and viruses were an issue, as were the simple logistics of arming, fueling, and feeding large bodies of soldiers. The current attack in the war being perpetrated on Irish people by their own governments is using the winter season to ensure that his enemy, the people of Ireland, will be debilitated in much the same way under lockdown throughout the winter to such an extent that it may be impossible for them to fight back in any meaningful way. But that can't be allowed to happen. And he's on to, to mention why it cannot be allowed to happen, which is all true. And... Um, it's much, much truer than you might. Scotland's the same too. Scotland's put down a, it's a three or four tier lockdown, they call it now. Uh, uh, uh. I'll put the, this article up. But it's true, and it's what I've been talking about as well. And um, Ireland is also imposing a five kilometre travel limit and strict uh, new COVID lockdown. They always do that. They always restrict your travel. Eh? So, five kilometres travel limit. And uh, so you personally can't get between more than two 
or within two meters of somebody, and you can't go five kilometers uh, from your home. Right? So it's a move to level five measures. <laughs> These are the color coding. Oh, level five. Star Trek, eh? This is to include closing most shops and banning home visits. So most economy is to be shut down, right? Non-essential shops be closed and people are asked to stay at home with five kilometers, uh, which is three miles travel limit for exercise. You're not allowed out like a prisoner for a little bit of exercise. If you can prove you're out for exercise, to curb surging infection rates. It doesn't mean that, that they're actually illness rates. If you get any any particles of this virus and these terribles, you're guaranteed to, to, to show positive for most of, the, most of them because the, the, the test is, is, is disgustingly awful. It's not meant to be used as a, a diagnostic tool. That's why they picked it. So they're not closing it down because we're getting sick. They're closing it down to stop infection rates. Well, I've got the answer to all. It could be it could be cured tomorrow. The whole problem. Stop testing the people. Stop testing them. And that's it. They've nothing else to 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 use as ammunition. Just stop testing the people. But again, it's the whole system has nothing to do with with COVID. This is your whole reset. Your whole new way of austere living, cradle to grave. And you, unfortunately, are the, are the, the first generation to get hit with the massive disaster of all, the effects of all. And, and the guff, the guff, that they're, they're just churning on the public here, you know. And it says, um, in a somber address to announce the restrictions Michael Martin, or Michael Martin, it says he's one of the politicians, said he understood there would be disappointment, loneliness, and despair, but that there was hope. Do you, do you hear? Do you, what? what? Give the guy a, a psychopath award. Eh? Let's destroy everything. But tell you, don't be lonely and despair. Don't go into despair. And, there's always hope, you know. If we pull together over the next six weeks, we'll be able... How, many, how often have you heard that since this started? Then it'll be another month, two months. Oh, then it'll be... They've already told you it's going to go into next year, maybe in the following year. <laughs> this this carrot, little bit of carrot for the, for the poor donkey here, eh? Another few weeks. Oh, another few weeks, eh? Here's it again, too. Martin said the government had rejected a strategy of zero COVID as unrealistic... Well, of course it is. There's always, there's always particles out there to be tested. There always will be, even before COVID came along. Common cold will give the particles too. This is periodic lockdowns may become the norm, he says. And he says that the strategy of herd immunity is unethical. It's unethical to get div herd immunity. Although that's what has happened down through history to the, up to the present. It's unethical. You see, you've got you to you you be locked down instead. And uh, and don't get herd immunity for goodness sake. We can't we can't sell all, all all these vaccines if you get herd immunity. Anyway, but facts have nothing to do with it. And I won't even go into all the statistics. It's pointless, as you know. Eh? And all the folk it, it, look at the many disclosures that have to come out in the last few months of him, how they were working out how who died of COVID versus those that died with COVID. 
you know, the, the COVID particles, right? The coronavirus particles are common. There's lots of coronaviruses out there. And the particles are dead virus parts. That's what we're told. That's the theory behind it. Not actual viruses themselves, but particles that could belong, that could belong to viruses. Mm -mm -mm. So I'll put up these articles for those who want to know. Army is called in to help make sure businesses following follow the COVID rules, it says. This is from Liverpool Echo, the newspaper, the news, newspaper called Liverpool Echo. I'm not sure if it still is today. And it says, military personnel being deployed to help. To help, you see. Merseyside councils ensure businesses are complying with lockdown regulations. The troops who will not be in uniform. Huh? Can you hear, see it? Not in uniform troops, but on active duty. Will provide extra capacity for council's environmental health teams as they monitor compliance with COVID-19 rules. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, 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 eh? Well, why not just call them, what, Stasi? Or, why not, eh? Not in uniform, or... Eh? Why not? NKVD, perhaps? Eh? <laughs> and Deputy Chief Constable Serena Kennedy, who chairs the Merseyside Resilience Forum, said, uh, through the MRF, you know, that Merseyside Resilience Forum, a request was made under the Military Aid for Civil Authorities, that's the MACA, process to support the additional work that environmental health officers across the region are being asked to undertake around COVID-19 understanding and compliance. Compliance. Hmm. This request has been agreed and means that there will be a small number of fully qualified personnel working across the six authorities for a period of eight weeks will expand that into permanent, I would say. They will not be in uniform. They are being deployed to provide additional capacity on a time-limited basis for each of our environmental health teams, carrying out the same duties as our permanent EH personnel. These are squads that are going to hunt folk down. That's what they are. So these, these teams have been responsible for inspecting businesses to ensure they're complying with regulations throughout the crisis and assisting with contact tracing to identify clusters of infections. The government has previously said soldiers could be brought in to provide logistic support or perform back office functions for the police so officers can be deployed onto the streets. And you thought that anti-terrorism thing was bad when you saw troops in London and different places, eh? Well, here they are now going to come into your homes, see? Ah, democracy is just, I can smell it, it's so wonderful and nice fragrance, isn't it? Better remember and vote the next time you, they bring out a Boris-type character who waves his hands a lot and, and uh, makes you want to like him. It's all stage-managed, you know, but you're supposed to like them, you see. Yeah. So there's the army. That's, now, if they've got it in, in, in Liverpool, they'll have it elsewhere, too. Nicola Sturgeon, oh, oh, poor old Scotland, eh? Announces new five-tiered COVID lockdown system for Scotland. Five-tier. 
Yeah. So they'll all try to outdo each other. How are you? Are we on level three? Ah, we've got level five here. There you go. And so, uh, Shunville, a new five tier lockdown system for battling. Oh, it's a battle. Coronavirus in Scotland. The First Minister said the levels raising from zero to four would avoid one size fits all approach for areas of the country with lower infection rates. Level four, highest level, is closer to a full lockdown. Ms. Sturgeon said, with non-essential shops, for, again, this is non-essential thing, forced to close and bans on indoor meetups. You can't meet up indoor. <gasps> My goodness, come on for a coffee. Oh, you can, it's not allowed. Oh, no. Now, here, listen to this. Whereas level one and level two are the closest to normal the country can be without effective treatment or a vaccine. See, they don't even bring in herd immunity developing itself. That's like it's been doing in Sweden and elsewhere. Otherwise, people would get tested. Oh, you've got it. So cases would mean you would be sick and permanently sick until a vaccine. Because you think no one's no one's getting bit. No, these folk, after two weeks, generally, they're, they're gone. It's gone. Gone, gone, gone. They've got immunity to it. See, this is the stuff they prattled out back in February. The agenda has never changed. You can't get back to any kind of close normal and without effective treatment or a vaccine. See? So normal ain't going to do it. And, and getting your own herd immunity is just not on, eh? It's just too cheap. There's no profit of it. Schools should remain open under all tiers, which runs from zero to four, even under the toughest restrictions. But she said restrictions would not be as strict as the lockdowns in the first wave of the pandemic. Who's she kidding? Eh? We're not back at square one, Miss Sturgeon said. She told a brief in Edinburgh that there were grounds for cautious optimism. Why do we even repeat the trash that comes out their mouths? Eh? Really cautious optimism. As cases were rising, only because you're testing. Stop testing. But the infection rate appeared to be slowing. That means that most folk have already had it, you see, and got an immune to it, if that's the case. Otherwise, it'll be sick and stay sick, you see. The new set of restrictions has, had been expected after Boris Johnson announced the three-tier alert system for England. So when did the changes come in? If approved next week, I'm glad the virus will hold off till next week. The new measures will come into force in Scotland on November the 2nd. Alert levels will be reviewed on a weekly basis, Ms. Sturgeon said. So here you go. Uh, level zero will see most businesses open and eight people from three households are able to meet indoors. You get the understanding now? Some 15 people from five households can gather outdoors. School, <laughs> this is such a far. Schools and businesses will remain open, although pubs and restaurants may have a curfew. Right? Travel to areas in levels three to four and areas of the UK under the highest restrictions will be banned. Life events such as weddings and funerals will be allowed with a maximum of 50 people in attendance. See, it, it, this virus isn't so bad. I mean, it's got a heart, isn't it? If it, weddings and funerals, you can get 50 people there. So that's okay, see? It's got, obviously it's got a heart. 
LZ was the closest to normal the country can get with an effective treatment or the vaccine. So she said again, <laughs> to make sure you get the point of what's coming. So level one would be have slightly more instructions with indoor meetups reduced to six people, right? Two households. Um, other measures measures could uh, would be close to those seen across the country in September. Small indoor seated events will be allowed, although outdoor or standing events will be banned. Supposing you stood in one leg on a Thursday only in the afternoon. Is that okay? This is ridiculous. Uh, life events will be reduced to a maximum of 20 people. Oh, life event. People should work from home unless they cannot do their jobs remotely. What choice do they have? Level 2, different households will not be banned from indoor meetups. Stadium gatherings and events will be banned, and venues such as soft play centres, fun fairs and theatres will be shut. Cinemas and amusement arcades will remain open. So they, so they know, you see, again, they know that Hollywood must get its movies out in the cinema, right? Uh, otherwise, we'll all go to, again, hell in the handbasket. Hmm? Uh, so it's probably allowed to open indoors as long as they serve a main meal. And schools remain open with enhanced protection, it says here. People should avoid public transport on level three, and should be no travel outside of the area unless essential. This is a total lockdown, folks. This is total austerity. Total lockdown. They're giving grants to small businesses. Yeah? But I don't see what it says about the individual people. No. I tell you. It's meant to destroy everything, obviously. There's a, another doctor to Stephen uh, Malthouse in Canada, British Columbia, who again has put a letter out as well. To the, it doesn't make any difference. He's written to the province's top doctor to blast the latter's COVID-19 lockdown policy. It's rather obvious. They're all, comp- they're, again, stalwart. They're sworn to this agenda. I mean sworn, literally sworn, with oaths to this agenda. There's no doubt about it. When people working with patients, not, not letting it sit in offices, but working with patients, by the thousands are coming out with the same kind of stuff. And it's getting ignored. Anyway, the mainstream media has created a religion out of the public health. That's what he says, this doctor. One based on superstition, not science, with the power to rule over an obedient public. The news channels have raised you to almost saint-like status, don't be the medical profession. Yet your public directives do not make sense, contradict the research, and are causing people a great deal of harm. As a fellow doctor, I appeal to you to re-examine your policies and change direction before public health causes irreparable damage to our province's health and economic well-being. He goes on in his letter and says, There appears to be no scientific or medical evidence for the continuance of lockdowns, face masks, social distancing, and the arbitrary closing of schools and businesses, and the closing down of restrictions or restrictions on religious places of worship. He mentions the, that uh, Great Barrington Declaration signed by more than 30,000 health scientists. And he blasts the harm caused by the lockdowns. But there's lots and lots like that, you know. It facts don't matter. They're, 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 sw- they're sworn. People are sworn at the top. 
to this agenda. I mean, literally on oath, there's no doubt about it. You'd have some breaking out at the top if they weren't all sworn onto the same agenda. And I mean, literally, physically sworn to it. There's no doubt about it. They're dedicated. You would have different officials coming out at the top who who are at higher levels of government completely against it individually here and there. That would start to happen. And when it doesn't happen, it means that they all know that uh, they're sworn to it and they'll be well rewarded if they stick to it. There's no doubt about this at all. The evidence is overwhelming from the doctors that are working with patients in the hospitals and all the other staff too. Overwhelming. So there you go. Another one too is um, the World Doctors Alliance is another one too who go through the same kind of stuff. I won't even keep repeating it. I'll put the articles up for you to, to read with the facts in it too. From the different doctors with the, with the facts that they've uncovered and detailed and so on. And they went into... <laughs> this article also goes into uh, this... <laughs> the professor Neil Ferguson, the guy who did his modelling, that uh, said it was not even peer-reviewed before being acted upon by several nations... Eminent epid- it makes me wonder who, who, what is this organization that always uses Professor Ferguson? Huh? I'm telling you, the countries which did not lock down, like Sweden, Japan, Taiwan, South Korea, and Belarus, have all done significantly better than us in terms of per- percentage of of uh, population deaths. They also have herd immunity and intact economies. This article will definitely get banned because you're not allowed to say that now. It's forbidden to get herd immunity by yourself. Forbidden, you see. It's it's heresy to state that that you've got immune system, your immune system's working, you've got antibodies. It's heresy because you haven't had the vaccine yet, you see. But I'll put these ones in. It's interesting, too, an article, the article came out, uh, the average age of death of folk who came down, regardless, and, and died with, with comorbidities, meaning pre-existing problems, and, and made, not necessarily even died of COVID. As I say, you'll find, remember with that president of that, that African country, even he tested motor oil, uh, with the same swab tests, eh? and uh, and also some fruit, and sent it off to the WHO laboratories in his own country, and all came back positive for COVID. That's facts. I mean, that's that came out, folks. You know. So eh, there's, uh, this 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 particular uh, test is a is beyond the it's deliberately chosen for the fa- for what its its, its problems. <laughs> I really think so. Also, too, I'll put another article up on the. <laughs> This system in Scotland, because even the cops don't understand it in, in Scotland and, and England, even the police chiefs don't understand it. It's, it's just so ridiculous, you know. And how many folk can be here in a certain time and not there in a certain other time? And and uh, uh, it, it truly is. Uh, it, it, this is an exercise in bureauc- bureaucracy. You know, honestly, it is. It is. It's beyond any kind of farce. We we can look back. I can remember, this is what you'd expect to read something like this with the bubonic plague, or the Black Death, you see, they call it. 
in Britain. And that's where you see these, these, these animal masks with the big long snouts. They could understand what caused the disease at the time. But they, they, they thought it was a miasma, something in the air maybe it was causing it. And, um, but in reality, it, it was a disease, Carbacterium, caused, uh, carried by a, a, a flea that inhabited the rats that came off the ships. And that's the theory about it anyway. But anyway, when you read about the, the characters who are making money off uh, fighting that disease at the time, which they didn't know was ca- what was causing it or anything, right? And they had all kinds of, of conmen on the go. Chronology really flourishes during times of crisis, especially when you can create a crisis. But back then, they had a real problem with these, these, this deadly disease at the time, in the Middle Ages. And uh, so they made these masks, the animal shapes, and that would partly scare off, I guess, the disease. That was the idea behind it. They didn't, they didn't know why it would work, but, but the salesman would give you a good patter, a good patter, a good pattern merchant, you see. And... Uh, Good con men, good, good, good sellers, you see, as to why you should wear it. But they also had uh, people who said there were magic <laughs> outside toilets, yeah? and that this, this strange miasma that they thought was somehow in the air or some would, would, would be frightened off by the stink from the toilet, the smell, you see. Especially if you urinated outside the toilet, round the toilet, I don't know how many times, mind you, it's probably a, a, bunch, a specific number of times. Very much like the COVID idea. They can allow so many folk in your home this time of day, but not in others and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and then they also had, uh, oh yeah, and some really inventive characters were selling rose-scented, uh, perfume. they would perfume these, these handkerchiefs uh, and you'd cover your face with it. It was like a face mask, you see. You put it to your face. Uh, they died too, mind you, with the face mask. But, but um, otherwise, you know, paper on your face would have would have fought all diseases down through history. We never knew that, did we? Uh, and it wouldn't need a, need a medical system, really, in that case, just a lot of paper. But anyway, they would sell this perfumed paper, and uh, you would do that thing around the toilets and stuff. I guess it was, the idea was to shock with the disease or whatever it kind of was away from you. You know, just scare it away from you with a with a face mask on and this paper or, or an handkerchief with some perfume uh, of of rose on it, and um, and and they made fortunes out of this off the public. You know? But what I'm saying is that's what you read about these things that they did and ringing ringing of roses, eh? a, a pocket full of posies, eh? and that was the idea too. Having if you had rose petals and that the posies and. And the handkerchiefs, a tissue, a tissue would all fall down, you see. And that was the thing behind it all. But it didn't stop the plague, of course. And um, But when you see the, the rituals they had to go through back then, trying to stop it all, uh, this is what we're reading the day. With these three tiers and four tiers and five tier lockdowns and so many people can, from your little street can meet in your home maybe this day but not the rest of the time under a level two and yada yada yada. Uh, absolute farcical stuff that no one understands. It's not meant, you understand, it's not meant to be understood. It's meant to be acted upon by authoritarian cops and so on who 
hand out stacks of tit and people get angry and furious as the society breaks down until you just comply with every ridiculous diktat. Because I've just started with these uh, ideas. And if they can have you walking on your hands, they'll have you walking on your hands. I really mean that. There's huge experiments in psychological operations on the go right now. Massive, massive studies on, on people management and manipulating the people into abeyance. When you break the normal thought patterns and, and rational patterns of behavior, when you break it, and Pavlov knew this, you can eventually get the public to do anything, no matter how aberrant. Huge. It's got nothing to do with stopping anything, folks, except bringing the, the economies to a complete end, an end, to bring in total dependent austerity. That's what you, so, so yeah, you could, you, could, you could tie into the, we should laugh at the Middle Ages stuff. Oh, laugh at this stuff now, folks, of what they're telling you to do. Now, here's another one from the Daily Mail as well. And it goes in, it says, The other coronavirus death toll, 26,000 more people than usual died in private homes in England and Wales between March and September. But only 3% of them from covid and then that says that uh, that's 26,000 excess over the normal. It says potentially they died because they couldn't or didn't want to go to hospital, according to official statistics. They couldn't get into hospital. That was the main reason. Between March 20th, uh, the week lockdown started in September 11 at 12, 85,400 people died in private homes rather than in hospitals or care homes. An Office for National Statistics reported, report revealed today this is the equivalent of around 100 extra deaths each day. The number, which is a surge of 43.8% on the average for that time of year, includes fatalities of any cause, with COVID-19 only mentioned on 2.9% of all the death certificates, six out of ten of those who died at home were aged over 70. Deaths in private homes were nearly double the five-year average for between April the 3rd and 7, May the 7th, when Britain was overwhelmed by the virus and have remained well above average since March. Yet in hospitals and care homes, the number of deaths slipped below average in June, once the first wave of coronavirus-19 had blown over. And it's now risen slightly back up in care homes, but remains low in hospitals. Statisticians said the change represented a redistribution in where people die, arguing many ill patients would have been reluctant to go to hospital out of fear of catching COVID-19. They were telling them if they phoned in to stay at home. Remember the articles? Or suffered disruptions to their usual National Health Service treatment because of the draconian lockdown. Heart disease was the biggest cause of the deaths, followed by cancers and dementia. I think we're all getting demented now with all these new regulations, eh? Stand on your left foot on a Thursday and your right foot on a Wednesday. It's normal for these to be the main killers. It says, for comparison, the government's official COVID-19 death toll stands at around 45,000, right? Now, it doesn't mean that's what killed them. Because mm-hmm. we already saw the fudging figures. It was just incredible the, the lies that were put out already. 
says, experts are not sure whether statistics are necessarily bad, but many people choose to die at home rather than hospital. But warn people might have missed out on proper end-of-life care, which includes painkillers, and that some of the people may actually have been saved if they were in the hospital. No, isn't that what hospitals are for, huh? Do you realize all reality has been turned upside down? And as I mentioned earlier, I never finished what I was on about, but the, but the folk used to just die at home all the time. But, but it was because until COVID started, most folk are so out of the fact that folk die at all. In this age where undertakers deal with it and so on, and and they die in the hospitals, you don't see them. You only end up, if you ever go to a funeral at all, that's where you see anything to do with the person that's dead is, is, is the funeral or a cremation. But in reality, that used to be the, the, what folk grew up with when, when life was pretty short for a lot of people. That was normal right through up into the 20th century. And so we all knew growing up that folk died. We see people dying in your family. We knew it. And your neighbors, you'd see them dying too. You, you think with COVID, nobody died until COVID came along. This is a, an amazing time to watch the psychological warfare being put down our throats here. And we had all the lies as, as they were packing statistics of the deaths with COVID, even though they'd admit later that most of them didn't die of COVID. Uh-uh-uh. And here they go again with this, the, the next round of it. So the experts are not sure where the statistics are necessarily bad. <laughs> Rather than just say, yeah, lots of folk died in their homes because they couldn't get in the hospital. Isn't that bad? But the experts that caused it all are not sure where the stats are necessarily bad, you know. <laughs> Naturally, psychopaths would say that. Today, today's uh, Tories today said the figures lay bare the other coronavirus death toll and call for number ten to provide a cost-benefit analysis of lockdown measures. They must work out the Conservative MPs uh, said how to balance rules so they protect people from COVID but don't put patients from getting National Health Service care, meaning they die from other illnesses. And uh, this is Fiona Carrier. Karka, the Director of Research and Influencing at the Alzheimer's Society, said that the death toll from dementia alone rose by 75% in, uh, in women, revealed the impact of isolation, fear of coronavirus, and suspension of health and social care services. Well, of course it did. Now, this article does go on to list percentages of people who died at home, right? Between March 14th and September the 11th. Interesting to pick the 11th. And it says that the cause of deaths, and they give you deaths 2020 and death average and so on, uh, heart disease, lung cancer, and folk that died at home, right? Prostate cancer, imagine dying at home, you can't get hospital treatment on. Lung disease, eh? bowel cancer, and uh, 8,300 plus 26%. It's got percentages here too. So imagine dying of, of prostate cancer and bowel cancer at home. Right? That's the males. Then it's got female deaths between March 14 and September 11th too. Causes of death and so on. Percentages as well. The hell that folk have been pushed through here by this big agenda. On behalf of this agenda here by the psychopaths that run all. 
you you have to bring them. There's got to be a reckoning. There has. To, they know it too. They won't back off now. This is when they get really vicious, because they they can't back off from the damage they've done already for this agenda, folks. They know that that people demand justice here and reckoning for what's happened, been done to them, and justice has to be seen to be done. You know. It's incredible. And they haven't finished yet, folks. And then they go into the same article too. Um, again, getting back to the fact that most folk think that nobody died until COVID came Usually around 300 people die each day in their homes in England and Wales. Usually, that's regardless of the COVID, right? It's at Cambridge University Stats, Professor David uh, Spieghalter. And the latest uh, ONS analysis confirms that even after the peak of the epidemic, this has stayed around 400 a day and shows no sign of uh, declining. That's one third extra, very few of which are from COVID. Right? So even though it's higher, it's not from COVID. Non-COVID deaths in the hospital now have correspondingly declined, suggesting most of these deaths would normally have occurred in the hospital and people have either been reluctant to go, discouraged from attending, they told them not to come in, <laughs> or the services have been disrupted. No kidding, we close down everything and, uh, and you tell them, and, and the hospitals are too busy with dance nurses and stuff, uh, why bother going in? It's unclear how many of these lives could have been extended had they gone to hospital. For example, among the 450 extra deaths from cardiac arrhythmias, uh, that's when you go into abnormal heartbeat, irregular and so on, and crucially, the ONS, ONS data cannot tell us about the quality of these deaths, particularly in terms of the end-of-life care provided to the patients and the support for their fa- from their or for their families. It says dealing with this disease is a complex optimization problem. It becomes clear every day that the government needs to provide cost-benefit analysis of the major choices they face. Well, I think they already know the cost-benefit analysis of shutting everything down and uh, it comes to a grind, you know. Heart disease was the leading cause of death at home for both sexes in England and offices for national statistics report shows. And again, dementia and many people with a brain condition end up in care homes where those with heart disease may still be able to live independently. And deaths from other deadly conditions including cancers and dementia were also above average in private homes. Interesting how that was up, up there too, eh? And prostate cancer fatalities at home were 53.5% higher than average for men. Because you couldn't get any hospital for treatments and so on. Uh, 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 tell you. Ay, ay, ay. Anyway, you know. And another, uh, another one too is a huge lawsuits coming against COVID totalitarians and the con artists as well. I don't think it makes any difference. This is this is a. This, I said back in January, February. This is written in stone. There's no doubt about it. You could tell by the terminology they were using that facts that came along afterwards didn't make any difference at all. They wouldn't make any difference. This is an agenda. Also, um, Global Research has put out an article. This COVID nineteen numbers game. The second wave is based on fake statistics. And, and it's true, you can play all the statistics the rest of your life if you want. It's not meant to make any sense to you. Even when the WHO, remember the WHO actually changed the rules just for this one, for the pandemic, for COVID. 
uh, as to the amount of folk who, who were diagnosed worldwide to have it before they declare a pandemic. And they actually they actually changed it into a few hundred. Uh, it should be in thousands. Yeah. They change. Oh, that's okay. It isn't, numbers don't matter anymore to, to declare a pandemic. Remember, that article's out there too. There's lots of folks saved it. I've got it too. First tests of new immunity passports will take place Wednesday. There you go. And so back in April, when uh, the coronavirus was still new and scary. With cities from New York to London to Paris in its grip, the professional commentariat was a buzz with speculation about what not-too-distant post-COVID-19 future might look like. This is the mayor of the French city of Nice, and Bill Gates were amongst the most prominent voices discussing health passports, and the WHO was apparently treating the topic with extreme caution, WHO. Since then, the discussion has phased somewhat due in part to relentless messaging from President Trump and others about the coming vaccines, as the leading Western vaccine projects prepare to apply for emergency use from the FDA as soon as November or December, the WEF, World Economic Forum, the same supranational organization that organizes the annual Forum in Davis, is taking the lead in testing a global standard to communicate that an individual hasn't been infected with COVID-19. So it's a common pass system, it's called. It says that the project is being led by Paul Meyer, CEO of Common Commons Projects, which is a non-profit financed by the Rockefeller Foundation. Everywhere <laughs> you go, and you turn the stone, and the same characters pop up all the time, eh? The Rockefeller Foundation. Meyer insists countries are looking for better ways to thoughtfully reopen their borders as European countries start cutting down intra-EU travel once again. You understand with, with, with uh, you know, again, rope your pant legs sort of thing and stand on your hands and 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 uh, if, you, if you bring in four neighbours, you should barely do cartwheels in the house or something. Uh, eventually, with the PSYOP operation, you'll do anything to get away from all, all, all the madness. Oh, if you get the passport, you'll, you'll be fine then. Like, suddenly the passport just declares that you're fine. <laughs> so that's good enough, eh? Uh, uh. <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's got to, this thing to do with your phone and all the rest of it. You're, this is the complete world monitoring system for your entire life, birth to death. That's what it's about, folks. And COVID is the excuse, eh? Hmm? Also, this article's not bad, actually. It's, um, CG is an interesting organization. It's really part of the, the big CFR group for Canada. Center for International Governance Innovation, it's called, and they're, they're in Waterloo University, a big campus down that way, I think, too. And they create leaders, again, for Canada and, and so on. And they go by Chatham House rules. They actually, they actually say that, you know. So they're part of the, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Dash Council and Foreign Relations Group. And they, they pick young guys who'll be the future leaders in all areas in, in, in Canada and other parts of the world. And it says, um, COVID-19 as a case for social scoring systems. It's, yeah. And it says, we're witnessing one of the largest ever co- collaborative efforts amongst medical researchers, blah, 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 to stop the spread of COVID, yada, yada, yada. And... Uh, it says, while scoring systems are widely criticized and often discussed in dystopian contexts for being totalitarian, right? The current global need to mitigate the spread of COVID-19 provides a decent case for considering social scoring systems. 
So this is, this is a guy who's up and coming, or I don't say guy or not, it's Jesse Hirsch. And it says, digital economies and societies already depend upon scoring systems to navigate and manage information. And it says, so they give you examples that they're using, you know, rating and recommendation systems that help people choose where to eat and who to buy from. Like, you can't decide for yourself. Hmm? <sighs> anyway, the whole point is they want to use the Chinese system. They actually mentioned the Chinese government has established the National Credit Information Sharing Platform, which acts as a kind of API application programming interface for all the various agencies' social credit systems gathering and storing their data. And that's one of the big projects they're working at with, with CG, this group here. Is these are the same groups and CFR member, the department that they're the main part or, or, or so this is a, this is really an arm of the CFR. Uh, but the main part too is is all about um, a world system. It's always been about a world system and world governance and so on. It's the same system that came out of Cecil Rhodes' idea, you know. It's the same system that, and don't forget that Rockefeller was a member of Cecil Rhodes' uh, foundation. In fact, found, and he, they made Cecil Rhodes a star financially. So much so that you, you must get the money back if you have no families to leave it to. And that was in Rhodes' will to give the money back to the to the Rothschilds. Eh? This is official history. Eh? You can check it up for yourselves. It's not hidden. And uh, look at the wills of uh, of Cecil Rhodes. And they, again, the, C, the, the the CFR Council on Foreign Relations, Lord Alfred Milner Group, that that ran the whole system for the empire. It's the same system, folks. You know. Take over the world's resources, yada yada yada. Bring in a global system of government or governance, and uh, and basically run the public through a, a, a pretty well an expert system. That's why the CFR dash Council on Foreign Relations dash um, the Royal Institute for International Affairs dash Lord Alfred Milner Group uh, and and Rhodes uh, were all for the same exact. They're all they were the same one system different faces of it. Hasn't changed. Bring in the whole system. Create the stars, take over the, 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 you know, create the stars for the public to follow and nothing's changed. So China, yeah, they helped, they were fascinated by the setup. They, they helped actually the Soviet system get created <laughs> and they studied it well. And uh, they studied all kinds of, of tourneys across the world to see which worked efficiently. For those people who think that they're all your organizations, no, they're not. They're very elitist indeed. And so there you are. COVID-19 is a case for social scoring systems. There you go, from folk that you don't elect who advise governments and who become parts of governments and your top bureaucracies. They place them there for you to follow. And another one from the same organization. Now more than ever, the world needs data stewards, you see. The crisis is at least an illustration of the importance of statistics to guide policy and individuals' actions. See, you can't guide your own actions, you see. So you need these organizations to, to get statistics and systems set up to guide your actions. 
You're just too stupid to do it yourself. Because of differences in testing rates and how cause of death is registered in public records, it was quite simple. It's called fudging. The extent of the pandemic is unknown, making actions to counter it complicated. There you go. For example, Sub-Saharan Africa did not record its first case of COVID-19 till late February, and even after that, its caseload lagged behind other regions of the world. This might have been due, I like their preciseness, it might have been due to the genuinely slow arrival and spread of the virus. See? Might have been. To co-immunity, right? Within the population. So they may have got a kind of herd immunity. Oh, I can't say herd immunity, oh my goodness me. Without a virus, because of exposure to other microbes whose interaction with COVID 19 is not understood. So they might have, well, mind you, too, they also had the um, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, that type 2, you see. Maybe that's what gave them this, uh, an immunity towards this one. Oh, I can't say that again. I keep forgetting myself. I'm going to, no. <sighs> yeah. Anyway. So as another example, there's a belief amongst US intelligent analysts that the extent of the pandemic and resulting deaths in China were understated by the authorities. Right? It always amazes me how these organizations are allowed to say things that you shouldn't say, you see. You may hear that inferring, eh? Inferring that US intelligence analysts say that the, the deaths in China were understated by the authorities in China. Right? Oh, you couldn't say that. I'm glad I'm not saying it. Varying approaches to identifying cause of death during the pandemic have also resulted in disparate fatality rates attributable to the virus. So it's issues undercounting in some U.S. states and overcounting in others. Without detailed and comparable statistics and furthermore widespread political willingness, Institutional capacity and other capabilities to gather, disseminate, and make sense of them. We'll never be able to distinguish fact from affection or coincidence from causation. Well, how can they say that when they're after cash to get the rights to, to manage all the data? <laughs> this is what this article is about for, for CG and so on. Eh? You, need a, you need a one organization that'll gather all data, right? That's what you really need. Yeah. Statisticians, eh? so it's called foundations of strong data stewardship. See, they're not totalitarian; they're stewards. Stewards look after things. You see, you know that, don't you? So they should get that. They should be the uh, the stewards of the of of the whole of a whole unified data collection system. Eh? That's what they should be. You, you need something like that, for goodness sakes. If you want to survive and all perish together, eh? From the same organization, too. It's, an, it's amazing when you get into something. I've been watching this group for a long time. But um, they also go into little articles. I was reading India Canada Energy Corporation. And uh, I mentioned before, it's through Gateway House. Eh? They have, that's their version, uh, really, Indian Council on Global Relations. That's their version of um, Chatham House, you see. It's the same organization across the British Empire, for those who haven't caught on yet. <laughs> it's for Centre for International Governance Innovation. And it's, it's, it's worth a read for those who want to know how the world system really works and how they pick the, the bureaucracies of every single nation on the planet. 
<laughs> and put them in, and how they, they reap the rewards once they're in charge of the the central banking systems. You know. It's quite interesting, though, to see how it really works. An, an old organization, very old. Again, going back to Lord Alfred Milner, at least, and, who, and probably other names before he came along. But that that morphed into the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, the Pacific Region Alliance, you know, uh, it's all the same organization. Council on Foreign Relations in America, because it doesn't sound very good to have a, a Royal Institute for America, you know, for USA. I might not wash down to, but might, might wash, might, they might not care today, who knows, I just don't know. So data governance is important for that too. Obviously, there's only one good organization that should run the whole system, for goodness sakes, eh? And run the, this is the Jim Balsilli is the organization that this fronts for the CFR here, the CG. And it says um, at the IMF, International Monetary Fund Statistical Forum. So they're into all the, the same organizations that were set up by the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And the Global Digital Governance Precedents. And remember, they're talking too about the social credit system, global digital governance. They're going to govern you through digitally. <laughs> that means cutting you off too if, if, they disagree, if you disagree with them. Like Bertrand Russell said, huh? old agenda, folks. Digital governance. Uh, how else are we going to govern you digitally? Eh? Apart from giving you the finger, perhaps. But uh, here you go with it, and it's it's all there. They never sleep. These big organisations, these institutions, are there for generations. Eh? Mm -hmm. I tell you. And I love how they say security and democracy. Most folk in democracies don't know they're ruled by these characters. They're no different folks' names. They don't realize they all belong to the same organizations. Like Quigley said, there they are. This other article, too, is glaring parallels between the 9-11 and COVID ops. It's quite an interesting article. AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine study put on hold due to suspected adverse reaction and participant in the UK. That was in September 8th. And then I, I'd offer the same one, but it says uh, AstraZeneca, this is CNBC, shares turn negative. The shares, that's all they care about is the shares, eh? Of the, of the billionaire. The, see, they're only turning everybody out multi billionaires here, even the lower guys in the totem pole here, because of vaccines. So AstraZeneca shares turn negative after Brazilian health authority says volunteer and COVID vaccine study dies. I'm sure they'll just brush under the carpet and say, oh, they probably had something else, you know? That's all. That's what the story's about. The shares plummeted. Um, this is a good article too to show you. Again, you see again. Taught you're a non-essential worker. Eh? You're important or you're not important. That, that immediately puts you into, into a devalued category. If you're if you're not important, not essential. But it's the same thing in the stores. You know what's that before where they they had taped off. I think at Walmart supposedly had, had taped off different places. You couldn't go into doing that. Only in for food. Eh? Like a little rat. I remember giving a talks on how they trained rats in these cages and so on, and mazes in the laboratories, and they'd pull levers to get their seat and stuff, and they got you doing the same stuff. 
and walk in a certain direction and, and, and it's just one way only and yeah, all this absolute nonsense. I'm surprised they don't put just one foot down and you have to hop everywhere. I mean, why not? Huh? And have your face covered. Anyway, uh, so the, the, yeah, they were stopping folk from going to, so they're, they're back at the same thing too. Uh, it says, furious Tesco shopper cover, uh, coverings, it rips the covers off non-essential items, called non-essential, in Wales, as rage over disgraceful lockdown boils over. And uh, he's got fed up with it. I mean, you went to the store to get something, suddenly it's, it's all taped off, you can't get it because it's not essential what you're buying. Is it post-consumerism? Is that sinking in your head here? For those who are hard to thinking. Post-consumerist society. Essentials only. And even then it's going to be rationed. Food, etc. That's where it's going to go. So, Gwilin, Gwilin Owen said he was not ashamed of what he had done in the store, uh, in the store credit, Wales News Service. He was filmed angrily pulling coverings off rails of clothes while in the store without a face covering, shouting, since when has, have clothes been exempt? Rip the, rip the something cl- off kids, something clothes, mate, it's a disgrace. This is coming into winter now, and this is a, 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 a yada yada disgrace. Since when has have clothes been non-essential? And that's something. And then you've got another one too. It says, Mum. And it shows you the poor child that she's got, this daughter. She was told, unable to, to replace her hospital. Her, her, her little girl's in the hospital. You just see her. And she's got a real, a real problem, this, uh, her, uh, problems, this child, you know. And so the mum was unable to replace her hospitalized four-year-old daughter's bloody clothes because they are non-essential items. And today's the first full week of Wales firebreak lockdown and stores are currently unable to sell a range of products to customers. Miss Jones was, was 27 years old, was left angry and frustrated and upset when she couldn't buy essential items for Eden who was born with lymphatic malformation. And you can see her face is distorted, poor kid, you know. She said, please, uh, someone, tell me how it's not essential that I pop to the closest supermarket to the hospital, which is five minutes away, to get my daughter new underwear and pajamas as hers are soaked in blood. Ms. Jones was forced to make a 40-mile round trip from the hospital in Cardiff to get replacements for, for family members. A 40 mile round trip to get clothing from family members. And I'd, actually, with severe lockdowns, you wouldn't be allowed to even travel that far, surely. You understand all the frustrations of the madness that this is intentionally causing. I, I say intentionally causing. So the mum said she's never felt so angry and so on and so on. Mm-mm-mm. Put the article up for you. and one of thousands, I'm sure, of articles of, of the disgusting thing. And I mean, the folk dying at home and so on. Like they're told to stay at home and to suffer heart attacks and, and painful cancers to go and get treatments or even painkillers for it. Horrible deaths. And these folk who have caused all this have got a lot to answer for. You know they do. And don't forget, the countries that haven't done the lockdowns like Sweden haven't had the problems we've had, or even the death rate for that matter. Mm-mm-mm. And nations that even bore with the face masks, never, they made no difference in numbers at all. E- even the articles here, I've got ones here that have mentioned that 
the, 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 the admitting <laughs> in the states, in different part, different U.S. states, the surveys on folk who wearing the face masks, that the, the stats of folk who tested positive with it uh, were mainly wearing face masks, you know, and still getting it. You see, not sick with it, just uh, the positive. I say stop the stop the testing with, with this PCR test, and you, you find it all go away. But that that would be too normal to think to do when you have a big agenda at at, uh, at play here. I'll put up two the quarantine isolation camps. Also, two interest in the tender that the, the government's put out the tenders they put out for supplies and so on. The, the thousands of <laughs> stockpiling tear gas. Eh? That's quite interesting. Randy Hillier. Uh, politician, independent parliamentarian, makes a comment about the Canadian government's plan to build holding camps for those infected with the COVID and possible other uses. Eventually his mic is cut off. <laughs> uh, apparently there's a, a video, I haven't seen the video. And he asked Doug Ford, the Premier of, of uh, Ontario, if um, if they knew of how many of these camps will be built and how many people does this, his government expect to detain, point out how documentation shows the federal quarantine isolation sites could be used for other requirements besides COVID-19 and so on. But um, but yeah, I mean, you actually see the you actually see the tenders for tear gas. Since the tear gas RFP lists a total of thirty-six thousand canisters required by the DND Department of National Defence which the winning contractors to have shipped to Canadian Forces Ammunition Depot in Dundurn, Saskatchewan. That was by March 31st, 2021. So still to come. So that's a total 36,000 canisters. I know they were looking for riots, possibly, by the way, in Canada uh, back in February. They didn't know what's going to happen eventually. Uh, all governments are doing the same thing, by the way. Because what they're going to bring down is going to cause riots eventually. And when folks riots in Canada, it tends to be awfully, awfully severe, believe you me, what's going on. And from a, from a South Korean newspaper, deaths after flu shots in South Korea, fans fears, but uh, authorities find no link to the flu shots. And uh, that's how other countries deal with the flu shots, right? I've also got an article here about some nations... Uh, Noticing of viral interference as they've had the flu shots and then they get the COVID thing and it's, and it's actually exacerbating the COVID into a, a worse thing, you know. And that's, of course, what the Department of Defense in the U.S. had in 2018 with the military. I've got the articles here. I put them out at the time and folk grabbed them and they flooded across the world, those articles, from the Department of Defense's own, own records when, when they said that they were warning folk <laughs> that uh, the flu shots back then, 2018, uh, were causing viral interference because it, it primed you, pulmonary priming. And so when you hit the actual flu itself, you'd have an overreaction and you'd have a cytokine storm, which could uh, do terrible damage or even kill you. Another one, too, is uh, is so sad, again, from... Some organizations that used to have some kind of uh, credence, you know. But you're finding now that uh, some of them, are, well, they're all on board now for money, big, big money, and the big magazines too, and medical magazines and so on. And uh, I'll put this one up on... 
as the New England Journal of Medicine and have professionals out telling the doctors how they're going to try to convince the public to accept this and how to cajole them and <laughs> all that kind of stuff and to acceptance and what they'd learned with previous campaigns, with previous vaccines, what works and what didn't work and so on. And it's called Ensuring Uptakes of Vaccines Against SARS-CoV-2. And it's got the three doctors listed here. They're quite blatant at the beginning, too. Eh? This is a recent poll found that only 49% of Americans plan to get vaccinated against SARS-CoV-2. One option for increasing vaccine uptake is to require it. Right, there's, there's your option. Mandatory vaccination has proven effective in ensuring high childhood immunization rates in many high-income countries. However, except for influenza vaccination of healthcare workers, mandates have not been widely used for adults. Although vaccine retain, uh, a vaccine remains months to years away, developing a policy strategy to ensure uptake takes time. Nothing has to do with safety here. Understand? That's what makes sure you get it. They treat the public like cattle, like dumb, stupid cattle. They won't explain anything to the public at all. So they have these techniques to just cajole you or, 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 or try to force you into something, eh? So as we offer a framework that states can apply now to help ensure uptake of the vaccine where it becomes available, including consideration of when a mandate might become appropriate. Our approach is guided by lessons from U.S. experiences with vaccines from the 1976 swine flu. <laughs> That's, that was a real success. Eh? The H1N1 influenza, smallpox, and human papilloma viruses. I tell you. Six trigger criteria for state COVID-19 vaccination mandates. Mandate, right? And so there's your choice in democracies uh, and free societies. There's your choices. Never mind the fact that other countries have already got good herd immunity. They didn't lock down anything because it, you, you catch it. It's impossible not to get it. And it, like most viruses, you don't even know you've had through your entire life. Happens all the time, folks. So I'll put this article up. Remember, folks, once again, uh, I, I've got some articles to go yet, but I just want to remember again, please send me a few bucks. Cuttingthroughthematrix.com, very important. Uh, make a list of the sites on the, on my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. All the, my official sites are listed there because we're now in a terrible time. We're just saying something that's forbidden, whether you know it or not. See, it makes no difference. Uh, the authorities now are going into the real wartime, like level four mode, which they mentioned in uh, event 201 that they would eventually go to and uh, and just stop you from speaking about it. The only information you're supposed to get are from the, 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 the authorized authorities themselves. Th that's it. There's no choice. That's, that's the mandate, folks. And that's what your wonderful internet has come to. As I knew it would years ago, I said, though, They'll censor it and censor it. Once they, after they've got you used to all this free stuff and you're hypnotized by it and addicted to it, then they'll, they'll clamp down on everything and use it as a control mechanism. That's what it was designed to do. It really was. They don't care if you're happy and, and you're having good pleasure on the internet. No, they, they just they make sure you're addicted to it. And so you'll stay on it as they, as they take away all your rights and freedoms. Yeah. I always laugh at how they, th they really think people... 
uh, they really care about you or they care about minorities or sexual orientation and they really fall for all that. The people who rule the world don't give a darn. Don't give a darn about any of you. But they use these techniques to split you all apart. So send a few bucks my way, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Right? PayPal, a check is fine. Cash is fine. Moneygram, as I mentioned before, too. And it'll help me tick along here because it's a lot of work here. And um, I've got a whole bunch of sites there. And also, um, another one, too, is from uh, Salt Lake City. It says, various cases are surging across Europe and many U.S. states, but responses by leaders are miles apart, with officials in Ireland, France, and elsewhere imposing curfews. <laughs> it's wartime, isn't it? And restricting gatherings, even as some U.S. governors resist mask mandates or more aggressive measures. You're all, you won't be allowed out. This is the point. The whole point is to hem you in with laws and restrictions, regulations, until you're so weakened and fed up with it all, you'll, 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 you'll take your vaccination. That's the point of it. This is how they make you take it, you see. You, you're given no choice here. It's all coercion, coercion, and without giving you choices. And then when you, you get sick with it, say, well, you agree to take it. Psychopaths, psychopaths. Eh? So this article here talks about... Um, Utah, and what's happening in Utah too, and, and what's happening there, and it's, it's, it's not that bad either, actually. They, they play the, the, the statistic game, which means nothing at all. Viruses to stay at, at least until next summer. You can take it from Macron in France, right? He, oh, he's happy for it because they have to cut down on the, on the color revolution there, the yellow jackets and so on, yellow vests. Um, and it takes a lot of heat off him for his inadequacy of him breaking the country. It says this country will be fighting the virus until at least the middle of next year. As cases there surge past a million, we'll stop testing. How many folk are sick with it? You understand? If it surged past a million, they don't tell you that next week that million will be clear. They don't stay as cases, you see, they're then clear. That means you've got resistance, antibodies, to otherwise you'd be sick and it would stay that way till you died. Do you understand that? It's so simple. Every doctor knows that. <sighs> but they don't tell the public that. Well, what happened to all these millions of twice people? Well, now they're, they're, they're fine. They're not testing positive at all. You know? And so the World Health Organization said that the spike in European cases was a critical moment in the fight against the virus. Hmm. A call for quick action to prevent health services from being overwhelmed. The same stuff they keep churning out about what, who got overwhelmed? Who? Hmm? I tell you. So it's a good propaganda article, this one, on the, the spikes and so on. Right? Also, this article here is on U.S. scientists fret over increasing numbers who say they'll refuse COVID-19 vaccine. It's the New York Post. And um, the technocrat scientists believe that they're in charge of vaccinating humanity for the good. Everybody, and for the good, everybody, 
of everyone, I guess, I mean, you say, and it's their responsibility to carry out the mission as people push back and say, no, these same scientists are incredulous that anyone would not agree with their science. And it says, Tara Granger, 36, has worked as a nurse for two decades in Suffolk County, New York, and she and her two children have been vaccinated every year, I guess for flu, I don't know. Drugs are my life, she says, it's what I learned in school. But she's been questioning the, the promised upcoming vaccine for COVID-19, in large part because of what she's witnessed firsthand about the financial incentives for vaccines. It scares me that I got so many free lunches and free dinners because I pushed the flu vaccine, Granger says. What am I going to, to get when I push a COVID vaccine? Uh, Granger got sick from the coronavirus earlier this summer and said she did the opposite of what people said to do. I took my supplements and vitamins and didn't go to the hospital to be put on a ventilator and die. I was smart enough to say my immune system can fight this. I just have to find the right way to do it. Her job will require her to re recommend COVID-19 or COVID vaccine when it's available, but Granger says she won't personally be getting it. She said it's something we don't need. It's not, not something we need. Even if it's safe, she says, People want an easy solution and they think this is it, but it isn't. A Pure Research poll also from late September showed that about half of U.S. adults wouldn't get a vaccine if it was available today. A big drop from the 72% who said they'd get one back in May when they were terrifying us. Okay. So, um, so there's a nurse there, 20 years in the, in the profession, eh? 36 years old. It's not going to take it. Of course, anybody who doesn't take it is called anti-vaxxer, even though you, you might only not want this one. Right? So it, it, you're getting labelled and smeared, and, and these are techniques, psyop warfare. These are military techniques used in, in campaigns to, to dehumanise enemies. Rather than just say some folk don't want this particular vaccine, and they don't think it's even necessary, which is their right, by the way. mm mm, -mm. Or you might have what they call vaccine hesitancy. <gasps> oh, you can trust the, the manufacturers, can't you? Hmm? There you go. So that was from Eric Spitzmagel via the New York Post. It says here that article here. Uh, Sweden no longer need to isolate themselves. The government said on Thursday, pointing to lower COVID infection rates than in spring, and a growing toll on the mental health of its elderly is behind the new recommendations. The move is to ease the burden on the elderly and it comes as many countries across Europe are reimposing restrictions to get to grips with surging infections. But the health agency has said it does not see evidence of a second wave in Sweden. Oh, they hate Sweden, don't they? <laughs> and have they been hammered by the media in the West, eh? Oh. You don't have any. See, you don't. Even if it was just greed, if it was if it was just greed by the richest folk on the planet, the big corporations, eh? these conglomerations eh? that own stacks of businesses, thousands of businesses, each one of them. If it was just pure greed, you, you wouldn't get this kind of kickback that you're getting for nations that they don't that say they're not. Because there's not a lot of people in Sweden. It's not a huge population. So, so you just say, oh, well, we don't need them. We're making masses of profits elsewhere. So it's not just money, you understand? It's a huge agenda. 
a whole new way of just existing. I don't call it living, it's called existing under pure sustainability and austerity. Craig Murray, who is a former ambassador of the UK and human rights activist, and he says people need to reclaim the internet. Well, good luck if you could. I tell you. It says no matter how much you dislike Trump, only a fool can fail to see the implications for public access to information of the massive suppression on the internet of the Hunter Biden leaks. So he goes into that and what happened there with uh, what's come out recently. He talks about his coverage on his own coverage on Julian Assange trial and so on. He says even my blog, he says, has never been so systematically uh, subject to shadow banning from Twitter and Facebook is now normally about 50% of my blog readers arrive from Twitter and 40% from, from Facebook. During the trial, it has been 3% from Twitter and 9% from Facebook. That's a fall from 90% to 12% in the February. In the February hearings, Facebook and Twitter were between them, them sending me over 200,000 readers a day. Now they're between them sending me 3,000 readers a day. To claim that is very much less than my normal daily traffic from them, just in ordinary times. It shows you how they, they, they manage it all. In real time, they've got all these algorithms, and, they, and just a word can, can divert them off to other sites. And, and I'll kick in, you see your flagged immediately. Even his family, he says, haven't been getting the notifications of his posts on either platform. So it's your proof there, too. He says, it wasn't just me. Everyone reporting that the Assange trial on social media suffered the same effect. Well, isn't that interesting? Eh? Yeah. WikiLeaks, which has 5.6 million Twitter followers, were obtaining about the same number of Twitter impressions of their tweets as numbers who saw them as I was. I spoke with several of the major U.S. independent news sites, and they all reported the same. And he says, I've written more about uh, before about the great danger to internet freedom from the fact that a few massively dominant social media corporations, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, have become, in effect, the gatekeepers to internet traffic. In the Assange hearings and the, the Biden cases, we see perhaps the first overt use of that coordinated power to control public information worldwide. This is only... Believe you me, it's way beyond just talking about characters like that. I mean, there's thousands of things you can't find anymore. And uh, and they only, again, they said that they'd prompt you. They've been prompting you for years. To, if you look up certain topics as to where they want you to go as opposed to where you want to go, it's, uh, yeah, it's... But what's interesting to me, too, is the the Biden thing. I won't even fall into that trap. But... Uh, about the, the, the claims, of course, of, of supposedly, well, basically racketeering, you know, and politicians. What's new about politicians racketeering? But I got an article, it was from The Guardian, actually, going way back on years, and, and to Fergie, you know, it was, uh, I was going to find it here somewhere, possibly. And it's where Fergie, you know, uh, was asking £500,000 a time for introductions to her hubby at the time, the prince, when he was the minister for uh, development or something. In other words, he was for additional loss of cash from the British government on behalf of the parliament. 
and the Guardian was saying, well, what's wrong with that? It's amazing how they're selective, and, but they can't go across the board. If it's wrong for one person, what's it, how come it's, it's right for someone else? You know? There's no continuity or consistency of logic. Everything is so politicized now, isn't it? Everything's politics and who, who they believe in, who they don't believe in. Or, so that was her take back then. So what's wrong with her putting, asking for that kind of money for introductions to her hobby when she was married to him? It's, uh, yeah, well, that's the system you're living in, eh? And this article here, again, is, uh, at least he's going into, as I say, he's uh, Craig Murray's, he's going into the, the the system with the internet and how there's, it's just a censorship technique. And, and again, it falls into, with CG mentioned earlier, and they'll be eventually managing all the data, who gets banned and who gets a good credit score, who won't get a good credit score. As you enter a digital economy, a real digital economy, including government dishing out your credits, and how they can punish you for being bad and naughty, like Bertrand Russell talked about. Old agendas. And folk think, oh, that's not... That, what he's talking about, Bertrand Russell, what's that got to do with the present day? Everything. You're living through an old plan. <laughs> Police chiefs admit even they don't understand the COVID rules. I'll put that one up too. And... Um, why won't they tell us the truth about coronavirus beds? Matt Hancock, as the minister in charge of the British prison, it's a politician. A minister is a politician, it's not someone that gives you a sermon uh, on religion. Although you have a lot of belief uh, to believe that Hancock and his ilk are, are any decent characters at all, good politicians. And Boris Johnson say they're almost fools, that's what they're telling about the, whole, about the beds, say, right now in Britain. But Manchester's own medical expert disagrees. <laughs> this, this is where you're getting. Eh? So the Manchester, the city of Manchester's own medical expert disagrees. But oh, the, the beds are almost full, says Boris Johnson <gasps> and Hancock. The people that they're supposed to represent the public by, you know, they're liars. So hospital bed, bed occupancy has become a propaganda tool in the bad-tempered drought over COVID restrictions in Manchester. Downing Street has used terrifying statistics in an attempt to gain public support for forcing local leaders into accepting strict Tier 3 measures. They claim the city's hospitals will become overwhelmed within a few weeks and even the surge capacity will be used up. But Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham and other local leaders have challenged the government's use of data, accusing the ministers of cherry-picking figures to exaggerate the scale of the problem in the Northwest. Thank you. It's good to see some officials coming out, eh? Isn't it? They claim that even though cases are increasing, well, now they're doing the, was it a million tests a day now? They're guaranteed to find cases. Doesn't mean they're ill. Huh? And eventually, as I say, that next week they're not a case anymore. Uh, because obviously they've, got, they've now got antibodies, or they'd stay a case, wouldn't they? <laughs> so it says, even though they're increasing, current occupancy in critical care units is not far above the norm for this time of the year. See, you're going to winter. They know they're going to get a lot of folk in, with bronchial problems end up in the hospital. Right? Even Professor Jane Edelson, who leads the government's coronavirus response in Great Manchester, has insisted that although the numbers are stark, 
the system can cope. But what is the truth of the matter? How bad is the situation facing Greater Manchester Hospital as COVID-19 cases escalate? The fact is we simply don't have the data to form an accurate picture. Intensive care occupancy figures are not regularly collected and the government's projections are murky at best. Look at me. It says, though, even though that COVID-19, COVID patients uh, are going up, right, in Manchester. It says that's up uh, from fewer than 100 a day at the beginning of September, but it's fewer than half to 1,200 patients a day in, in hospital at the peak in April. And the rate of increase is far slower, mainly because existing regulations are slowing the spread of the virus. I think it's personally because most folk have got immunity to it. That's what they've developed, you see. Otherwise, you still you stay uh, as an infected case. You see, you you stay permanently as an infected case unless your immune system kicks in and creates antibodies to eliminate it. This is basic medicine. Uh, what do number ten uh, coronavirus graphs really show? School children, twenty-somethings, have driven England's current COVID nineteen outbreak. But the infection rates amongst them are falling in almost every region. Yeah, all the youngsters can get it, but they don't even get ill with it. That's normal too, right? Some things will hit just the elderly. Some things, a few illnesses will hit mainly the youngsters. This one here that hardly touches the youngsters at all. So because you've got a few particles in your nostrils, and doesn't mean you've got it anyway. Here's the one by... by <laughs> I'm talking about uh, the hypocrisy of, of news agencies and so on. 2010, and that was from The Guardian. Why shouldn't Fergie sell access to Prince Andrew from The Guardian? Eh? Flogging an influence for cash is an ancient practice in business, and the Windsors have hardly paid for the Duchess's silence. Yeah. So there you go. She apologised for the embarrassment it was caused, referring to a serious lapse in judgment. Very sorry, sorry it's happened. So, now, she was up to her eyes in hawk eventually. And remember, the, in fact, this next article here ties in with that. It was to do with Sarah Ferguson's telephone call to Prince Andrew's ex-pal, Jeffrey Epstein. Because uh, they, they found, when they, they, they actually admitted, FBI admitted they found... Um, Notes from Fergie to Epstein asking for to borrow money. I mean, she was she was really compromised eh? on a lot of different levels. What a world, eh? Their article two is interesting, but the Gwilin Barr syndrome and flu vaccine, and uh, it's from the CDC, by the way, Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, you can look at the word, everything goes through public relations. Everything everything for the public goes through public relations. It means a propaganda outfit where they soften things to get to accepting. So the Glenn Barr syndrome is a rare disorder in which a person's own immune system damages nerve cells. Right? Attacks your own nerve cells. Never, never used to have. Causing muscle weakness and sometimes paralysis. William Barson can cause symptoms that usually last for a few weeks. Most people recover fully from GBS. Right? 
So there's there's this nice part. Most recover, but some people have long-term nerve damage. In very rare cases, people have died of GBS, right? usually from difficulty breathing. <laughs> it stops you breathing. <laughs> it's called death. Yeah, but it's an awful way to go because you suffocate eventually. You see. Because you, 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 the system that makes you breathe just stops working gradually, gradually until you can't breathe. In the U.S., I estimate 3,000 to 6,000 people develop GBS every year. What causes GBS? It's, it's unknown, but about two-thirds of people who develop it experience symptoms several days or weeks after they have been sick with diarrhea or a respiratory illness. Infection with the bacterium, uh, Campylobacter uh, jejuna, is one of the most common risk factors of GBS. People can also develop GBS after having the flu or other infections, such as cytomegalovirus and Epstein-Barr virus. On very rare occasions, they may develop GBS in the days or weeks after getting a vaccination. Interesting how they give you a list of it and they put that one at the very bottom, eh? Who can get it? Anybody. It's more common amongst older adults. And and so on and so on. How common is it amongst people who have had been vaccinated against the flu? Remember this is written for the CDC, right? It says the background rate for the US is about 80 to 160 cases of GBS each week, regardless of vaccination. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm sold on it now. It's a, it's a good one then. That's, that's me. Now, here's also, I mentioned before how the, the, everything would eventually tie into your, your immunity passport. Not just to go across the waters, but uh, even to travel, even a few miles from your home eventually, even a mile. Huh? That's where it's going to go. And I said too, they were using the, they'd use the airports initially to, to push it all. Passengers flying to Hong Kong are first to use 80 pounds uh, 20-minute airport COVID test uh, Heathrow and trial bidding to get struggling travel industry off the ground. That's what they're saying here. And also, this article is awfully important too. Purdue Pharma pleads guilty to criminal charges for opioid sales. New York Times. And uh, that happened recently, October 21st. Purdue Pharma, the maker of OxyContin, agreed to plead guilty to criminal charges related to his marketing of the addictive painkiller and faces penalties of roughly $8.3 billion. The Justice Department announced Wednesday the settlement could pave the way for a resolution of thousands of lawsuits brought against the company for its role in a public health crisis that has killed more than 450,000 Americans since 1999. That's just Americans. The company's owner is members of the wealthy Sackler family, agreed to pay $225 million in civil penalties. Prosecutors said the agreement did not preclude the filing of criminal charges against Purdue executives or individual Sacklers. Massive <laughs> scam that was, you know. And lots of doctors were getting bribes and stuff too to push it, and oh, just amazing stuff that was going on with that. And it says, um, and they knew it too, it was highly addictive from the very beginning, before they even gave it out there for, to the public. Eh? They knew all it from all the studies they'd done, what would happen. 
So it's OxyContin, which came in the market in the mid-90s, is seen as an early ferocious driver of the opioid epidemic in Purdue, is regarded as the architect of muscular misleading drug marketing. Well, do you mean try to tell us that drug companies and big pharma companies are, are misleading drugs, marketing strategies, is that they're using? And they can believe them if they want to give you something to help you, right? But it's unlikely the company will be able to pay anything close to the $8.3 billion negotiated in the settlement. That's because Purdue sought bankruptcy court protection amid the onslaught of lawsuits. And so the federal government will now have to take its place in a long line of creditors. Typically, creditors end up collecting pennies on the dollar in bankruptcy procedures. They're too wealthy to, to go bankrupt, to just shift money around over the place. That's what uh, these, these characters do, you know, I tell you. And about how many doctors were on board with this too and pushing it for kickbacks? It, says, it actually mentions the, different, the anti-kickback laws that were on the books already and so on. Oh, tell you. That's the real system, eh? That's it. It says prescriptions are often paid for by federal health care programs like Medicare and Medicaid. And they use aggressive marketing tactics to convince doctors to unnecessarily prescribe the opioids. Frivolous prescriptions that experts say help fuel a drug addiction crisis that has ravaged America. A lot of it was on, on, on purpose, too. You know. They have no idea of the big uh, psyops that go on. A year ago, under the weight of opioid litigation, Purdue filed for bankruptcy. And it's expected to emerge at some point as a new company, I guess a Phoenix company. At least two other opioid manufacturers called Insys Therapeutics and Malincourt have also sought bankruptcy protection because of litigation. They won't lose the family, won't be too big, too rich with all the cash they brought in over the years. And again, how they remake each other, just, just like Rockefeller getting remade again with the public relations company he hired to remake him as a philanthropist and beneficent to society. He was really a nice guy. Purdue has proposed that the company be run as a public benefit corporation with proceeds from continuing limited sales of OxyContin and several overdose-reversing medications under development to go towards opioid abatement. The Justice Department endorses that model. Was that nice? There you go. I said, see, before all, all of it happened, a forensic audit last year by Purdue uh, found that the Sacklers, the family, directed at least $10.7 billion in the company's proceeds to family-controlled trusts that can be touched, you see, and holding companies. Even as Purdue was facing legal scrutiny, much of these proceeds, the Sacklers have said, went towards tax payments. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, you're laughing. New York Times, good enough art. At least they printed it, so that's something, I suppose. But folk forget so quickly, don't they? Meanwhile, there's, there's folk dying of cancers in their homes under this COVID thing, as I've mentioned in the previous articles, who couldn't get treatments in the hospitals. Imagine dying of cancer, no painkillers and things. For the greater good, hey? Hmm. Well, that's how it is, folks. So again, com, and... Uh, 
hopefully we can still keep going and get through whatever's to come with a bit of humor here and there. You've got to have some. And I always say you've got to have small groups and you swear to each other to help each other out because government is abandoning you. They're the culprit behind so much of this at the moment. And hell is coming down. And you don't want to be just a statistics for the numbers, you know, and who die at home. Nor you got to help each other out one way or another, some way. And you can help each other out. Never mind the folk who, who literally are in fear and terror watching television every day, you know, thinking the world's coming to an end. That's how, what it seems like to them, unless they comply and give up all their rights and do what they're told and take, allow whoever vaccine company to pump their stuff into your body, you know. It's, that's where they're going, as is said at the New England, New England Journal of Medicine there. What a disgusting article. There's nothing at all about the necessity of explaining to the public what this particular vaccine will do and why it is so necessary and will it even work and what are the real bad side effects that they might cause. Never mind the fact that they know that the companies or whoever's going to administer it and the companies themselves are, are given a complete blanket immunity from prosecution and personal lawsuits. Well, heh, no. No. Can't go along with that, folks. You're either an animal property, that's what you are, or a human being. You're a person. Remember that. But help each other out regardless through these terrible times to come. And this is just the start of it. As you're going through the cold weather and folk have lots of bronchial problems every, every winter. This is what they expect in the hospitals. They, they wait for the onslaught long before COVID came along. That's what you wait for in the hospitals come the, the change in the weather. And folk get older all the time. So every year is a crop of people who just hit that magic time for them. And they get awfully ill with uh, lung problems. They already have pre-existent problems. And you can guarantee lots of them come in. That's normal. So you've got to help each other out and, uh, and, and reassure people. If you, if you can reassure them. And don't just leave people to be on their own and never hear from a, from a phone call or whatever. You give them a call once in a while to keep in touch to make sure that uh, they're okay. And is there anything that they need to, anything you can get for them? That's what you've got to do. Government is trying to isolate everybody from everybody else to make you dependent on them. And believe me, you never want to be dependent on government for anything. <laughs> you, you could, should, but you got to help each other to get through the, the terrible times ahead, folks. The global reset, as I call it, the great reset. <laughs> for the whole way of living or existing. And the more folk help each other, the more confident they get in their right to help each other and to reclaim their, their dignity as human beings. From myself, I'm Alan Waterman here in Canada where the trains are going by like crazy with the heavy, heavy goods going away north, which tells me all I need to know about a long, long, long-term strategy of war against the people as they lock themselves down with their massive uh, food supplies for the, the wealthy elite, you know, they're going to run the show. So for me, it's Alan Walker and Tierra Canada. It's good night. 
I mean, your God or your God's school with you.